I want to know where that nipple came from. It's a, it's a catchy song, isn't it? It is. And I almost interrupted it with my boisterous laughter. Um, I'm drinking tea out of a psych novelty mug, and it has all of Burton Guster's nicknames. And I just saw one that I missed earlier reading it. Weepy Boy Santos. <laughs> <laughs> Weepy Boy Santos? I like Suck McJones. Oh, gosh. It just... <laughs> Sorry, it was, we were listening to the music and I'm getting ready to record it. Weepy boy. <laughs> What's the, is it Randolph U-Turn Singleton? It's, I think it's on the other, no, it's. Scoony U-Turn Singleton. Scoony U-Turn Singleton. Scoony. There you go. Scoony's a good name. Yeah, we were talking about uh, baby names earlier and uh, we were making the joke that I should name any potential future babies Schrodinger because right now I'm dealing with this state of, I could be or I might not be pregnant. So it's this perpetual both pregnant and not pregnant until I know more information status. So yep. Schrodinger. So I've been bad about annoying you with that. I was supposed to, I think, ask you every day or something by text if you were pregnant yet. Well, there, there was other things that you were going to also do daily. Like you were going to congratulate me on my nuptials daily, but you haven't done that either. Oh my God, I totally forgot about it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You got married. I did. Did yeah, and your nick your your last name is different now. It's no longer the thing it was. It's something else. That's true, right? Yeah, that that's what happens to some ladies. Some people become hyphenate. Some people do nothing. I'm the one who's like, nah. I'm gonna ditch my old name. Are, are there rivalries within the, the the married women community where they're like, oh, you changed your name? See, I stuck with my name because I am my own person. So I will say that there was a. Big Rush, the hyphenate names were huge for a while as a mark of uh, feminism. If they chose to get married, they would hyphenate or keep their own name. And uh, that fell to the wayside because I suppose... Well, for me, it was a matter of I thought my my old last name mixed with Krauss would have just been really one too long. Um, and extremely guttural German sounding. Like it would have sounded like I was shouting a profanity at someone. So instead of hyphenating or choosing one versus the other, why not mash them up? Krauklin! <laughs> well, I suppose you. <laughs> That's <so> horrible. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Allison Krauklin! <laughs> I have come to conquer! It also sounds like something you could order off of like a Bavarian menu. Like I'll That's have racist. the I'll have the the Krocklin with extra mustard. That's racist. I I can't believe you do that. How is that racist? To the germs. Kraus is a German name, and there, there's definitely German origins to my other name. Anyway, so uh, what this is the podcast called Rose Tinted Reels. Mm-hmm. We have already gotten on a tangent, and we haven't even literally said anything to do with our podcast. You know, I will say that as far as tangents go, this was our shortest one yet. But it happened before anything of substance. (laughs) You said you liked our intro music. That's podcast related. I guess. (laughs) Jeez. All right. Well, my name is Zach. I'm Allison. But you've got a different last name. Krauss. Lovely. I mean, oh. This is our 20th episode, by the way. And this is the Rose Tinted Reels podcast. This is Rose Tinted Reels. I feel like... In our 20 episodes so far, we we have 
in fact, said our names many times, right. first, last, and had naming convention conversations. So, But I suppose every episode might be somebody's first. Oh, in a way, that's kind of sweet. Right? So we have to reintroduce, or as in the industry, they would say, restack. Mm -hmm. That's what writers say in Hollywood. Well, I think we've stacked it. And now you all know. Mm -hmm. I'm Zach. She's Allison. And we are going to continue to blow your minds for the next 15 hours of this podcast. Well, for those who are new, I'm going to say welcome. This is a first for us uh, where we are going to be recording an episode of a Zachary pick. Exactly. So the thrust of this podcast usually is Allison picks an old movie prior to the year 2000, which I have not seen that she is nostalgic for. We rewatch it and we establish if she still likes it as much as she used to. And if I like it at all, maybe I see it in a totally different light. And I, I say that it's a pile of garbage. Hot garbage. Hot garbage. And uh, that happens sometimes as with Best in Show. Which I just, where did I go wrong? I, I feel like for those who haven't listened to that episode, pause this one, go listen to it, <laughs> at rate, review it at a five star. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. And then talk about it on the RTR Community Face Place. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook, on Facebook. And join us in that conversation because on paper, Zach should have loved it. Yeah, that, I agree with you. On paper, I should have loved that movie. It's dry humor. It's a uh, it's a bit uh, Britishy in its presentation. It has a levy. It's got a Eugene levy. I love a levy. Mm -hmm. I love a levy. Mm -hmm. His eyebrows immaculate. It's true, and his glasses charming. Exactly, his personality charmingly befuddled, confused. Yeah, I thought befuddled covered that. It was a synonym, but I was going in a different direction. Gotcha. Yeah. Won't take it from you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, I should have loved that movie. It, it has on paper all the the uh, the ingredients of something that I would really enjoy, but something about it just didn't click with me. Didn't and drive. and and that'll happen. See, that's the point of this podcast. You were nostalgic for it. You thought I would like it, and it fell apart. Hopefully, in an entertaining way. Yeah, like. Like a, a knit sweater where you forgot to tie off the end and it just slowly unraveled. Man, that would suck. Imagine <laughs> being at a business meeting and your sweater is unraveling before everyone's eyes. If I knew I had a high caliber business meeting, I don't think I would go with a hand woven sweater as my uh, apparel. Well, see, that's why you're never going to make it in the business world. I suppose so. All the high powered CEOs go to business, go to their high caliber business meetings with hand knitted sweaters. So are you basing this solely on the stepdad and the Santa Claus? No, he was a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was not a high-powered CEO. But if he were, mm -hmm. see, no, but he got his uh, at the... He got his, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he got his. <laughs> no, he got his sweaters when, uh, when the circus was in town. That's where he got his, his sweaters. They were not hand-knitted. They and were from the circus. All he wanted in life was a weenie whistle. Exactly. Ever since he was two years old, <laughs> no weenie whistle. Well, suffice it to say that weenie whistle would have been a big choking hazard for a two-year-old. It sure would have. Maybe he wouldn't have made it to adulthood and he wouldn't have been able to marry Charlie's mom. Yeah. And then where would the story be? Exactly. So in reality, it was probably Santa Claus was thinking like 75 steps ahead. He was like, I could give him his weenie whistle, <laughs> but he would die and he wouldn't be able to help Charlie in the future. Can I just say, I've always wanted to play Dream Date. I've never played it. I don't know if they still make it. That is the game I've always wanted to play because of watching The Santa Claus. Yeah, somebody, one of my uh, almost step-siblings got it for Christmas when I was very young, and they played it, and I saw them playing it, and I was like, ooh, that looks so adult and fun, but I didn't understand what was happening. 
Now, this uh, dweeby guy in the glasses, that's supposed to be the loser date. I'm, I'm thinking of like the, the mill house of the undesirables. In the I garden. am not. I didn't say you. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What the hell were we talking about? Sweaters. But why? <laughs> why were we talking about sweaters? The plot of Best in Show Unraveled Like a Bad Sweater. There we go. All right. We got there. All right. So we're back. We're back. Okay. So... This week, I participated in something that I think makes me part of history. History, participating, you. You, history. <laughs> you, history, important, I think not. Beyond this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we're making history right now. But other than that, what did you do today that made history? So um, my organization is helping with the disbursement of COVID vaccines. And so I worked a registration desk and made sure that over 260 people were able to get their COVID vaccine. All right. So is that thanks to some initiative enabled by our new uh, El Presidente, Dippy Dip, Dipstick, uh, uh, Joey, Joey Biden, Joe Biden. Woo. I know our president's name. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to call him a Dippy Stick compared to the last guy. <laughs> now, the last guy was uh, a, a wannabe tyrant. Yeah. The, this one's just kind of... A little bit lame, but what are you going to do? He's much better. Yeah, he's he's more of what but we he's, know. But his, <laughs> yes, exactly. He's establishment, and I welcome establishment back into our lives. And the fact that he has two dogs and a cat in the White House again. Right, right, right. Uh, an all black kitty. And all he's got a Riker. Mm-hmm, he's got a Riker. He's got a little baby Riker. Yeah. Well, I like this guy all the more. So yeah, uh, no, th- this is more of an initiative set by Mister Governor Hogan, Doctor Goey Hover. Exactly. <laughs> So continue. T- tell us how you uh, get more about how you're making history doing this thing. Oh, so I mean, I just I I feel like I'm I'm doing a good thing until they determine that the vaccine is some sort of tracer that, for some reason, requires two injections. Maybe the first injection doesn't have the tracer, and the second one is the microchip. Oh, and that's why everyone gets sick after the second one. I like this. All right, so they're injecting us with uh, microorganisms that are sending uh, digital signals to the government, telling them about our locations. Probably they're in our brains, telling them what we think and what we are doing, what we want to do. They're going to kill us for thought crimes. Perfect segue (laughs) to the movie. To Ghost in a Shell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So we're watching Ghost in a Shell for this one. This is a different version than our normal episode because it's the 20th episode. And Zach's birthday. Happy right. birthday. Thank you. I'm now 30 years old. Uh, yeah, he reached the dirty 30. I did. Yep, successfully. And as I warned him on the book face, uh, he's now going to have to have travel and home ibuprofen. Yep. It's going to be tired all the time for no reason. Back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. All the pain. Yep. Well, that's why you got to have the ibuprofen. Yeah, there you go. And suddenly you're going to walk into a room and not remember why you went in there. That happened to me when I sat down. <laughs> yeah, it did. Like, I know I'm supposed to do something. There's a lot of glowing buttons in front of me. Yep. There's a yep. microphone in my face, but I'm not really are sure Are we why. actually recording? I don't know. Probably. Let's just keep talking and pretend we are. <laughs> We've done that before <laughs> during the Great Mouse Detective. Yep. 30 minutes. Cabbage. <laughs> was it 30 minutes? It was 30 minutes. Oh, my God. And then we did a quick version, which it was funny, but was it as funny? It <laughs> Probably wasn't natural. Not. <laughs> it was rehearsed. It was rehearsed, although we did get a little bit meta with it, which was injected a little bit of originality back into the proceedings. It did. Yeah. It did. We were commenting on the fact that we were rehearsed. <laughs> anyway. Uh. Yeah. So I got to choose this episode because I'm 30 now, and that uh, gave me special license to butt my head in here. 
Yeah, and where it doesn't and, belong. You know, I, I wanted you to get real comfortable with the, the notion of once you reach the age 30, new technology will anger and confuse you. Exactly. Which works in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Her character actually was uh, Motoko. Mm-hmm. Motoko. I don't, I never know how to, I put in fossils mm-hmm. on the wrong syllable very often. <laughs> M- Motoko. Motoko. I'm pretty sure they say Motoko, but I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look at the spelling again. Well, yeah. Well, once we get that Scar part Joe. in the movie, they'll. they'll Good old ScarJo. ScarJo is going to tell us how to properly pronounce because she's Asian. She'll tell us how to properly pronounce uh, these uh, Japanese words yes. and names. So. Did you have any personal news? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for saving me. I really genuinely thought this is I'm 30 now. I genuinely had something else to say and it left me and I looked at you and you were like, I'm not going to save you. You looked away <laughs> and I was like, well, fine, let's sit in this silence. Whatever. I'll I'm comfortable it with out. it. <laughs> I'm or, not going to edit it out. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will. You're going to suffer because uh, you don't edit. <laughs> I might forget to edit that out. <sighs> anyway. So what the hell? What's personal, news. personal news. All right. I've got nothing. Well, you turned 30. <laughs> I turned 30. That's yeah. I guess that's personal news. Yay for me. Mm. So what about you? So in addition to the the COVID vaccine, um, I'm really excited because next weekend I get to do my uh, big important tasting events. I get to do my wedding cake tasting and my meal tasting next weekend. Oh. So it's kind of like having a free Valentine's Day dinner, which is a delayed free because it's free this time. But on the wedding, suddenly I'm going to owe thousands of dollars. That's a, that sounds like a good date. Yeah. He loves me so much. He's going to spend thousands of dollars, not just for feeding me, but feeding all the people I care about. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then some people I don't care about. <laughs> oh, do you care to name those people? No. Okay. <laughs> no, it's just a... It's a this could be an RTR exclusive. Allison uh, uh, dishes on the people she doesn't care so much about. <laughs> Nah, it's just, you know, there's, uh, when, when you have a wedding, suddenly you are encouraged strongly to invite certain people that you wouldn't, I, I always saw the merit of if I'm inviting this person to a wedding, the assumption is that I'm going to be spending a minimum of a hundred to $150 for their plate in a social convention. Would I spend that much to feed that person? Yes. So I used to have a person with which I would closely associate. Mm-hmm. And uh, this person was would bring about the, the, the proposition of marriage quite often. Yeah. And uh, we had this conversation. Like, are we going to invite people we don't care so much about? And I'm kind of punk rock in the way. I said, you know what? No. If we don't actually like these people that much, we're not inviting them. And they may complain. They may go to the people we do care about and say, well, what's wrong with me? Why wasn't I invited? And I say, well, let them. Yeah. Well, so the the problem that I had was, one, I'm trying to keep the number of people that are going to attend lower because of COVID. And two, cost. I, I'm not a person who wanted a $75,000 wedding. Yeah. Because damn. Because <laughs> goddamn. Yeah. So there's people that I would have loved to invite, but I couldn't because cost prohibitiveness is what it is. Unfor- not, not unfortunately, just fortunately, not even fortunately. It's just it is what it is. No, you get I, to blame the cost for why you're not inviting these people you don't care so much about. Well, I was going to say there, there's also the expectation of family members and friends of family members that you've known for many years. You, you invite those people. And so that already with me, with my family, 
I have a lot of cousins. And I want them all there, but that... Do you, though? She gave me a look, everyone. She gave me some a look. There was a glimmer in her eye that let me know she was like, yeah, but there's some of them that I don't really... Nah, nah. <laughs> like, maybe one or two, but <laughs> that one? Nah, nah. <laughs> that one can suck it. So, like... And you you want to make sure that you're inviting the family. You want to invite his family. He has two families in the sense that he has, you know, his secret wife. Parents. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. You know, the even just doing the rehearsal wedding, I realized that most of the people who are family members or in the wedding party are already half of the attended guest list. Mm. So the rehearsal dinner is going to still be 30 people. Holy moly. Yeah. So uh, I'm rehearsing on, on Friday, I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're going to walk up the aisle, pretend to say I do. And <laughs> so are you going to wear a wedding ring after this occasion? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I was just curious because when you officially got married, you didn't start wearing a wedding ring. And I was, I guess you were just waiting for the. So we, we have to get the wedding band. I have my engagement ring, which was my grandmother's. Um, I need to get that recited still. Um, you know, after I, I received it, this was January of last year, and that's when COVID hit, and suddenly the world stopped. Yeah, I was there for that. It was bad. Yeah. The world stopping, I mean, not yeah. the engagement. So that that's a lot of uh, personal news, but that just to say I'm excited about food. Well, congratulations on getting married. I'm really, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so podcast news. I got nothing, I, except for the fact that I'm choosing this episode. I do want to jump into a interesting truth bomb that dropped on the RTR community face place. Uh-huh. You've swiveled around to face me mm-hmm. in, in a kind of an accusatory fashion. So I'm I'm going to guess that this truth bomb is aimed at my, in my direction. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. Well. Zach. Go on. If that's even your name. I believe it is. But you maybe it's multiple. You went to an Alison Krauss concert. I went to an Alison Krauss concert. According to your papa. That's the phrasing. Are you calling your papa a liar? Yes, and also. And the yes, f- and. <laughs> the phrasing is wrong. I didn't went to an Alison Krauss concert. Attend? No, I was taken. You were kidnapped. <laughs> Essentially. Do you think I, as a little baby boy, wanted to go to an Alison Krauss concert? Nah, it's not my scene. I don't think you the cognitive capacity to. Exactly. I was taken to an Alison Krauss concert, <laughs> and I imagine this was the 70s, so I was just... Uh, alive in the 70s. I was just left to wander around the place while my dad enjoyed the concert. I was just outside climbing trees. Okay, so baby boy Zach. Were, were baby you- boy Santos. Were you uh, bediapered at the time? <laughs> I think this was after the diapering phases in my life. Okay. But uh, p- pre my real cognition. So so this wasn't like you just walking around in a diaper like a Woodstock festival kind of thing? No, no, no. I wasn't mating with random women and uh, listening to folk Americana while I was doing drugs. Who said anything about mating? This is Woodstock you're talking about, right? Well, isn't that the like, whole, I, I this, said, wasn't that like, the whole scene? I, I just said you were in a diaper. Like, like, well, why else would I be at Woodstock unless I was taking drugs and listening to Americana while fornicating with random strangers in the mud? Because he really liked the music. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. I can't imagine fornicating and taking drugs, too. I went down to the river to pray. <laughs> <laughs> what a song. <laughs> the tempo is very slow. Mm. So I, but no, okay. I may have been taken to an Alison Krauss concert. I, I can neither confirm nor deny because I don't Boo. remember it. I was not paying attention. Boo. I doubt I knew the name of the performer. <laughs> and I'm sure that I was not paying attention. Boo. So, so go on. Not only bow down to him. 
Bow down to the king of lies, <laughs> I king <was> of <laughs> Petrus. <laughs> <laughs> not only was I not listening, and not only do I think my dad's a liar. Boo. <laughs> it was phrased all wrong. So, no, no, I did. I have never actually, quote unquote, attended an Alison Krauss concert. Quote unquote. <laughs> because I didn't attend. I may have been in the general vicinity of this thing happening, but I was not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where I was. Uh-huh. Or why I was. Mm-hmm. Well, those are deeper philosophical questions. Which that we'll usually... get into in, in the, this movie. <laughs> Delightful. So I reject that truth bomb. I send it back to sender. So what I would like to say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if you're not with us on our, our TR community face place. Then you're against us. Well, I was just going to say, you're only really getting half of the story. We have lively discussions. Like, we just had a lively discussion about favorite songs and movies that are not the most popular song. And we even had some guests volunteering some educational posts, like our friend Mr. Kevin Smith, giving us some information about It Happened One Night. Ah, what was that information? Care to regurgitate? Well, it was one that we ended up discussing during the podcast. He just hadn't got to that part yet about the Bugs Bunny history. Bugs Dooley or Dooley. I can't remember how he pronounced it. Shapely? <laughs> no, no. He was saying, he, oh, was, Bugs he, was, he was referencing yeah. this imaginary gangster, Bugs yeah. Dooley. Yeah, Bugs Dooley sounds like he's like, you know. Uh, Dooley Hill, yeah. <laughs> which is actually Gus from Psych. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, we also had a quote from my husband where he was actually quoting part of the Netflix series Cobra Kai, where he said in a post, uh, I heard you were the bully regarding LaRusso. Which I still reject. Now, see, after having gone through the episode, do you now still maintain that he was the bully? I just don't think he was a perfect victim. Well, I, no, I, I mean, I've admitted that he's a jerk and a moron. Yeah. But... Was he the bully? And uh, conversely, was Blonde Bully, what was his real name? Alexander? Jonathan? Spice and Leather. Jasper. Spice and Leather was his uh, <laughs> official nickname, but what's his real name? William Zapka. No, no, I mean real character name. Johnny Lawrence. Johnny. All right, so I was right, I think. So was he a bully or was he just responding to Daniel's provocation? Both. Uh, it can be both. <laughs> Well, okay, so he, there might have been provocation, but if he is a bully, then there was something outside of the provocation that he was uh, exercising cruelty on Daniel that he didn't deserve. Yes. Okay, so he was a bully. Both. <laughs> so he was a bully. The, 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 the second half of that is irrelevant. He was, he was also <laughs> given provocation, but he was also a bully, and he was a bully. He That's missed a saying. calling in life to be a lawyer. I think you need to start going to law school. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, naturally I have that that thing in my brain. I, I yeah. No, no, we're going to fight this. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what are we doing? Um, are we on comments? We're talking about comments, right? On our RTR community face, please. Yeah, we, we were going into our comments and I was encouraging everyone to join us on the community face place on Facebook to just... Really spice up the conversation. You can also, and I encourage you rather aggressively, to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review, which we actually have gotten one. <gasps> it's been two months. Exactly. So I happen to know who, who left this review. Ooh. So this review was left by someone calling themselves that one person y'all know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I say y'all because it was written down. That's actually not part of my speech pattern. So it is worth noting that when we do receive a five-star review, in addition to you telling us who you would like to read it, you can write out whatever you want us to read and we do it. So We are contractually obligated to read whatever you put in your review. Unless it's derogatory or horrible. But 
it has to be five stars. Yes. If you hate us and leave us a one-star review, we're not going to read it. It's just going to get buried under all the positivity. Exactly. So if you really don't like us, leave us a five-star review and make us tell you how horrible we are. Yeah, we, we will ad, we will gleefully advertise just exactly how terrible we are at what we do mm-hmm. because you gave us a five-star review. You know, I dare say that Mr. Zach does phenomenal voices. So if you want him to read a review in the voice of Gollum, you have but to tell us. They're thieves. Don't give them any more for free. They're fearful little thieves. That's how it is. And we want it. Just a taste. Just a taste. So this review is by that one person y'all know. The title is Wonderful Editing. See, this is a little bit... uh, it's too complimentary to me. I don't really do you, like it. Do you it. want me to read it? I want more insults. Yeah, would you go ahead and read Well, no, but then it sounds like you're complimenting me. Well, I do that all the time. Either way this goes, I'm not going to like it. It's too nice. If you guys are going to leave reviews, please put a little bit of edge in there for me, would you? Like like the one that your brother wrote. I liked his review. That was phenomenal. Yeah, well, his was, the whole thing was kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah. How dare you have such an enjoyable program yeah or maybe it was a backhanded insult so it was it seemed like it was insulting but really it was complimentary either way there was a little bit of backhand and i like the edge mm-hmm. i want a little bit of edge mm-hmm. all right a little so. sass well so i'll just read it as both a listener and an observer i am constantly amazed by how zachary edits the podcast down to a mere two to three hours Having experienced these podcasts, they are closer to four to five hours of recording. If only there was a raw upload of the podcast somewhere, so that all the listeners could hear the extremely long versions, as well as all the guest appearances of Nymeria, Riker, and Benji, who are my pets. There's a lot of uh, woos that are uh, edited out. That's right. So, uh, there you go. That's a five-star review by that one person y'all know. Thank you, one person we know. So that was nice. I really appreciate it. But, uh, you know, for all the people who are going to review us in the future, a little bit of edge. Come on. I'm not going to limit you. If you want to say whatever you want, we will take it. Because, you know, we need these reviews to live. If, if you want us to keep going, we need the reviews. And if we don't get reviews, we die. You don't want us to die, do you? Because well, if you do, you should leave us a five-star review and tell us. Well, what is life? Well, Ghost in the Shell will tell us. Is life having this ghost, this soul? Is life being in this fleshy body? What? What is? What is it? Look, I'm not doing a bit. What is life? It's kind of a deep question. Mm-hmm. Well, because I would argue that some people who have life don't live, so living isn't the definition of life. Well, by living, living in your context is a slang, meaning they're not getting the most out of their life. They're not living to the fullest. They're not doing exciting things. Well, even further, I would say, you know. um, But you're also thinking very human centric. A tree is alive. True. True. So life is just not being dead. But death is the antithesis of life. So that's a tautological argument. Meaning both mean the same thing. Just so death is not life. Life is not death. Both sentences basically mean the same thing. What is death? What is life? Death is the cessation of being. Okay, being means that something exists. A rock exists. Rock is not alive. But it can have life on it. But uh, So in, in your metaphor of a tree being alive, this is getting real deep. <laughs> I like it. That's the whole point. That's why I picked this uh, movie to watch. So if a tree is alive, it, it has living cells. It has... Okay, um, those living cells. What makes them alive? So the, the spark of 
life would be uh, a continuation of growth and change and death by that logic would then be when the growth and change ceases. There's no more changing. So growth is one precept what? by which you can determine something is alive. Some things. Some things don't grow. Or you do reach a part where you stop growing, you shrinking. You start shrinking. Shrinking humans are still alive. Okay. So then growth is not a determining factor of whether or not something is alive. Yeah. I, so on a cellular level, there's actions and responses that are occurring. Um, so for a tree, you know, sunlight is being, you know, absorbed into chlorophyll. There's energy. There's energy. So you said energy. Mm -hmm. The absorption and use of energy. Absorption of energy. Something yep. that's burning is absorbing energy. But we consider uh, flame a living, uh, living flame is sometimes a thing, an expression that's used. That's a turn of phrase, but I don't think anyone actually thinks that it has a life. Doused a flame is killing the flame. Yeah, so I mean, there, there are, way, there are uh, common uh, phrases that people use like that. Or I killed on stage. Doesn't mean that you actually killed anything. You didn't rip life out of something. So these, these how would just, you define it? These are idioms. Never come up with a good definition. I've never heard a good definition. But I think that your concept of being able to grow was close. So I pulled up a, a dictionary definition of life, and it said the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. The existence of an individual human being or animal. Okay, so the first half of that was basically saying the same thing. It, life is not non-life. Mm -hmm. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the next part that said uh, the ability to grow and reproduce, repro reproduction is good. But if a machine is able to reproduce itself, does that mean it's alive? It lacked other functions of the same definition. Well, but like you said, not everything that's alive is growing. Mm -hmm. So growth is that they weren't to be conjoined. Those two precepts, both are ways of determining that something is alive, but they don't have to be together. And uh, the other part of the definition is uh, continual changes preceding death. So uh, the ability to change both physically, mentally, otherwise uh, for a tree, it would be physical for a human. It would be physical and mental. Well, but the mental side is, I would argue, also a physical process. Changing physically is something that everything does, even rocks. Rocks can erode. And so uh, th this is a deep philosophical question. Let's, uh, before we get too far into the, the movie, do we want to start with the events of 2017? Let's move to act two, inside the real. So. So if you're listening to this podcast, you better be old enough to remember 2017. So if they didn't, they would be what? Three years old? Seven. I can't do math. <laughs> So it just feels like it was a million years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is pretty darn recent. So the the I don't have a whole lot, and the things that I do have are mostly negative. But I will tell you that the there was a lot of negative in 2017. Well, and also these this is during our adult lifetime, so we were keeping up with the politics. So we're going to notice more of the negative stuff. Yeah. But the top movies of 2017: Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Beauty and the Beast, the live-action remake, which I maintain was a, a good one. Wonder Woman, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, 
A lot of superhero stuff going on. The Fate of the Furious, which is now a superhero movie. I mean, let's be real. Get Out, Baby Driver, and Blade Runner 2049. So it, two cyberpunk movies in one year. That's pretty good. And Wonder Woman. <laughs> and Wonder Woman. This was the year of the famous Pussy Hat March, um, the Women's March in Washington, D.C. You know, I remember being home for some reason at that time. I think it was the inclement weather day for work. Um, and I felt guilty about not going and the reason i didn't go is because of my social anxiety i thought it would be worse for me to go because if i had some sort of mental issue while i was there if my anxiety kicked in it would be more of a scene to try to get me away from it so i thought it would subtract from what that day was about Hmm, i got you i was there i don't remember there being inclement weather i guess it was kind of cold it was cold and it had snowed i think the day before Okay. Yeah, there there wasn't any snow there, but uh, yeah, I went there, held signs, chanted. When we passed by the Trump building, we spat, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And now you can't spit in public anymore. Yeah, because you get arrested. Well, I was going to say because of COVID, but also, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. So that was one of mine. Uh, next one is Harvey Weinstein and Me Too movement started. Oh, that was one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. uh who could forget when our sitting president tried to look up at the sun and stare at a solar eclipse? Yeah, smart guy. <laughs> Same smart guy that also tweeted Kofefe. Hey, that was one of mine. <laughs> I just, seriously, my, my last one just said many Trump things. There are so many Trump things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to go I, through all no, of them. It was funny because like, I was like... It, this year was not a fun year. It was just all news of scandals, the Russian probe, the Weinstein rape scandals. Just, yeah. Anyway, um, that's all I've got. Do you have any more that happened that year? Yes. This was the infamous Oscars scandal where we thought La La Land beat Moonlight for about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. They gave Warren Beatty the wrong cue card. So he incorrectly declared the, the winner. See, I never got that straight in my mind. I always thought La La Land actually won. It won Best Actress. But okay. it did, and that was the card he had in his hand. They gave him that card instead of the did, best picture. Did Ryan Gosling not win because he always has a smirk on his face? In that movie, he does. Uh, in every movie, he does. Actually, uh, I think Casey Affleck won that year. Was it that Boyston movie? Yeah. And yeah, that was a thing. What's your next trivia? Oh, um, oh, uh, that was the birth of the sheet caking movement, which was started by Tina Fey. The sheet caking movement? Mm-hmm. So to cope with the unearthing of a lot of unconscious and sometimes conscious bias and not being able to kind of cope with racist family members, Tina Fey started what's called the sheet caking movement, which is how she was coping with the riots in Charlottesville, which were, you know, Nazis and white supremacists marching in Charlottesville. So she was just eating literally handfuls of sheet cake on oh okay to, i thought that that was going to be a metaphor for something no it's just like shoveling and literally sheet cake eating to, sheet cake gotcha to cope as a coping mechanism i gotcha okay i hadn't heard about that yeah and when it gets real bad you can dip a grilled cheese sandwich into the cheesecake and use that as a fork a grilled cheese sandwich sounds really good right now <laughs> i think i've mentioned grilled cheese like twice in this podcast <laughs> so far <laughs> oh, i don't blame you all right what else you got Uh, I was ready to go to the synopsis. Let's go to the synopsis. What's the real synopsis for this movie? Cyberpunk uh, 2020. What's the name of this movie again? Ghost in a Shell. 
the show. <laughs> the movie you pick. So I realized that we, we have a template that we use when we do our movie notes and our trivias and all of this. In this case, there's a lot of stuff where I responded as though I'm Zach because I don't have a nostalgia for this and I don't have that background. Oh, so, so should I give the real the, the real rating or the real synopsis for this? Yeah, for this one, you're, you're the Allison. All right, I'm I just Allison. assumed you would Let me get into character. Well... And while I do that, I'll read the the real synopsis. Cause, no, are, are I, you I, I'm the reading the real synopsis because I'm Madison. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize I'm kind of British. <laughs> yeah, that's what British people do. They hoot. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a 1930s slightly classy woman. The <laughs> you drive me to boredom. <laughs> <laughs> you drive me to distraction. In the near future, Major Mira Killian is the first of a kind, a human saved from a terrible crash, who is cyber-enhanced to be the perfect soldier devoted to stopping the world's most dangerous criminals. That's not correct. That's that's not true. She's not a human that was saved from a terrible crash. That That's not true. That's not what happened. Well, That's what she thought for the first bit of the movie. And maybe they're trying not to spoil it for the... And she's not cyber-enhanced. She is literally a, an entire machine with a brain at the top. Yeah. She's a brain in a cyborg suit. Yeah. She's not a cyborg. She's a robot. Well, I mean, I guess technically she's a cyborg, but like it's the 1%. Like <laughs> she is an entire robot with just a brain at the top. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that, that uh, synopsis is not true. Goodbye. I mean, <laughs> so what, what do you have as a fake synopsis? 2017 nerdy director reports trying his best at live action remake. Look, the directing, I he did a... Well, we'll get into this. All right, you want to hear my fake synopsis? Yes. Stolen human brain finds an unlikely partner who can walk, talk, and is made of silicon. <laughs> and she's about to find out what being a ghost is scarier than it sounds. Scarlett Johansson is a ghost in a shell. Coming out June 37th. Oh my god! I like that it turned into a buddy cop. <laughs> I think that's been your best synopsis yet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it actually came out on March thirty first, but you know. There you go. Right. <laughs> came out on June. So, uh, for trivia for this movie, yeah, I will say that I do mix up some of the movie release trivia or the movie trivia and the ninety five anime movie re- trivia because they're connected. Well, it may be something about the 95 movie release. It's connected to the movie, so I thought it was important to keep. Uh, yeah, I mean, as long as you have that distinction, mm-hmm. like you know you're talking about one versus the other. Yes. All right. Well, I have a bunch of trivia just about this here movie, but I have a bunch. <laughs> so, you want to go first, or do you want me to also go first? Well, we can't go at the same time. Yeah, we can. Let's try. All right, you. right, we'll start talking in three. One, two, three. Three. It won it awards won ACP, awards, ACP <laughs> award for the award top, for the film, top score. film score. <laughs> 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 award for outstanding, for outstanding color, color grading. grading. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, why don't you just go? <laughs> that was an unsuccessful experiment. I tried to warn you. I warned you. Look, we have to take risks in our line of business. <laughs> Look, this was it was an artistic swing, and it, and a miss. It, it was a miss. What are you gonna do? 
So the original Ghost in the Shell movie that released uh, the animated version was a very ambitious anime film. And it was one of the first to actually see a simultaneous release in Japan, the US and the UK. I thought that was in part because it showed the significance of the Ghost in the Shell franchise in Japan and how much they bought into it that they thought it was consumable for Western audiences. Well, actually, so something that I heard, which actually may be one of the, the trivias that I have later, but I just remember, it's actually not such a big deal in Japan. They It was not so critically acclaimed when it came out, and actually this live remake got a better critical reception than the uh, anime original. That's fascinating. It's, it's apparently kind of a niche thing there. It's a niche thing here. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as anime fans are concerned, it's considered one of the classics. Yeah, I, I get into that a little bit later because my, my first dealings with this was College Allison, and College Allison was... Newer to anime, uh, there were classic animes that I would watch, like Sailor Moon, whatever was available on Toonami. Then I remember all the cooler anime kids watched Ghosts in the Shell. Uh, Cowboy Bebop and things like that. Yeah, Evangelion. Which, if you want to talk about like a very cerebral anime, that is the most cerebral anime. All right. In an establishing shot, a Pan Am advert can be seen in the top left. The bankrupt airline's inclusion is a reference to Blade Runner, which also had an in-film advert for them. What's funny is uh, when I was watching this, I mentally made the comparison of this movie to Fifth Element and Blade Runner as kind of the giants that it was standing on the shoulders of. So apparently the original anime was also inspired by Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know. I I assumed it was kind of coming from a different background. And having now seen, I don't think I had seen all the way through the original anime, certainly not the show, but even the movie, the original movie. But I watched it last night. I watched all the way through it. And the anime didn't give me Blade Runner vibes. It was brightly colored, uh, definitely more brightly colored. It was a different feel. Yeah, yeah. But apparently it was influenced by Blade Runner. Yeah, I mean, there's a there can be influences, but go in a different tone. And I feel like the tone of the original movie was definitely more bright and vibrant which kind of was stark in comparison to the plot i mean there were moments in in that movie in the the anime movie where things would get very dark and gritty but the whole movie felt gritty even when it was bright and daylight and stuff like that and you were in the bright city it still had a a kind of grounded very gritty feel to it which i really liked so in the original manga major was actually perceived as more young and actually more sexualized which is really funny because in live action, they didn't give her nipples like they did in the anime. It's like a puritanical regression. So speaking of nipples, we watched the uh, the anime last night. And at the very beginning of the movie, it shows her shell being created. Mm-hmm. And it's got her, like there's a mechanized thing floating through some gel. And then it comes up through this white liquid stuff that sticks to her body and I guess makes her skin. Mm-hmm. So the metal part of her did not have a nipple. And then when she goes through the white liquid that makes her skin, all, of a, sudden she, all of a sudden she had a nipple. Yeah. Where did the nipple come from? And all why, of you why deep, the nipple? <laughs> all the deep fans mm-hmm. of Ghost in the Shell, tell me why, where the nipple came from. They I don't want to know why. Obviously, why? It's uh, she, who doesn't want a nipple? But there she's wasn't. She's more than a mannequin. She wasn't. She didn't have a nipple. Mm-hmm. And then she did. I want to know where that nipple came from. And now I don't remember. She shouldn't have... But did she have a belly button? I don't remember her having one. In but this... I could have been distracted by the nipples. Yeah, I don't remember if she had a belly button. 
But I mean, she was made to look like a human, so there was there's no reason why she wouldn't have been given a belly button. I mean, if they were trying to give the full illusion, yes, but there would be no need for a belly button as she wouldn't have had an umbilical cord. Well, there's no need for breasts. There's no need. For, I yeah, mean, she, let, she, let me get started on that because not only did she have breasts, but she had like big old titties. <laughs> in the anime or in the in the anime? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she. But yeah, so she, but she was made to look like a person, and a person that is supposed to fit in, fit into society. <laughs> so she has to look like a, a real person, and she uh, yeah, she has all she the motivations fit in with a B cup. <laughs> well, but she has all the motivations of a real uh, woman. I mean, she has a human brain, so mm-hmm. she will want to be sexual, and she want wants to look sexy. So I suppose. maybe that's why the nipples. So I don't know if she chose her cup size, <laughs> but I'm assuming she's not upset. And then they also made a point in the movie. I don't remember in the anime because it's been several years since I've seen the anime. They made a point to talk about the fact that she didn't have touch. Like she's like, I don't feel. They said that at the beginning like of this movie. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, the live action movie. I have a timestamp that addresses or that talks about that because I am curious. So in that regard, then nipples are completely aesthetic. Well, yeah, but that's kind of my point. I'm saying that all of this is aesthetic. She's yeah. so she wants she needs to look like a real person, especially if she's going to be having relations with other people who expect a real person. True. Uh, at the time of its release, it was the most expensive anime movie with a budget of a cool ten million dollars. A crisp five mil. Ten mil. That was a reference to another episode we did. We talked about how Mark Zuckerberg's uncle. Josh yeah, and Chris Fiber. <laughs> he would get a crisp five mil yeah. as a birthday present. Anyway, so uh, the geisha robots wore full head masks that were created by Weta Workshop and modeled after Japanese actress Rila Fukushima. And she actually got top billing uh, with the rest of the cast. She was seemingly nowhere in this film. She didn't act in this film except for having her face be the mask that was used by all the other geisha bots. But she was also, uh, because the, the rest of the geishas were played by stunt women and dancers wearing the masks, but she actually did play, I think, the main geisha at the beginning of the movie. So what's interesting about the geishas is that in the anime, they were more realistic looking. Like These were very robotic looking to me. They didn't yeah. have a sense of realism to them. They... Like, they looked like a real robot, not, not a, a human geisha. And so I found the the more robotic kind of look to them more jarring and more unsettling. Like, they looked like something I wouldn't trust in the room with me. Oh, yeah, certainly. They didn't have, they, they didn't have the capacity for real facial expressions. They could blink, mm-hmm. and that was kind of it. But they also, it looked larger, and, like, it almost looked disney-fied yeah it was kind of it was wild looking but i can confirm that when the face explodes Mm -hmm. and none of this was cg including when the face exploded so when it when it opens up and you see all the works inside Mm -hmm. there's actually an actress underneath and that is all clockwork and stuff that was made to look like the mechanics of the face underneath that's pretty cool it was really cool so all these stunt women and dancers that were playing these geishas could move about in kind of weird ways Mm -hmm. to kind of give life to these robots but it was so hot under the masks. They had fans that were blowing air under the mask. That's kind of probably why it looked big. Mm-hmm. Because it was something on top of their face and there were fans blowing air and everything. But it was still so hot under there, they had to take those masks off every 10 minutes. That's pretty crazy. The antagonist was originally set to be the mysterious laughing man. But he was eventually swapped out for Hideo Kuze. Kuze might be less uh, flashy of a character, but he is someone that actually shares a backstory with Major which they were trying to make the story more compelling and a more 
streaming narrative for the film. Um, Laughing Man and Kuse are both villains from Standalone Complex, which is what the, the film was taking a lot of its sources from. So I haven't seen that one. I have only seen the very first Ghost in the Shell movie. And I noticed there was a lot from that movie, from the first Ghost in the Shell movie in this remake. So the, uh, tons of this, the just the shots and the scenes were taken directly from that movie. Mm-hmm. And also, I thought Kuze was very representative of the Puppet Master. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would agree. He was making a network of people and, you know, back up. So in the original anime, he was trying to reproduce and start a new race of kind of digital life forms. In this one, he was trying to create a backup for himself, essentially, it seemed. And uh, he wanted Motoko, whatever, mm-hmm. to join him on that network. But on the topic of whitewashing of the main character, uh, Mamoru, Mamoru Oshii was the original director of the Ghost in the Shell anime. And he gave Scarlett Johansson his blessing, saying that I believe that having Scarlett play Motoko was the best possible casting for this movie. So my question, on, uh, just on the topic of the whitewashing, I, my question is specifically for this role where her body is supposed to be synthetically created, does the race of the actress really matter? So that actually was an interesting thing. They, they did an interview with a bunch of people in Tokyo, and they were asking them their opinion if they thought that the actress should have been Japanese or if it should have been someone else. And they said, well, she's just you know, a robot, she's not supposed to be anything like she's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, she could have been uh, Japanese, but I mean, they, they created her in a in engineering and design and stuff like that. She could be any race. But you're saying that people in Tokyo were largely saying the same thing? Yeah, that asked. because the, the character was a, a robot or a cyborg or a human brain in a robotic body, it, the, the race didn't seem to affect them as much yeah, yeah. so they were more offended here they i think they addressed that in this movie well because they gave her a different name so i think her name was mira killian and so apparently this is getting into another trivia of mine they called her Mi- mira killian because it sounds like miracle mira killian oh, okay. so she they call her miracle throughout the movie and so her name is mira killian and that was kind of a nod to that but it was also an attempt to westernize her that Mira is and Killian is more of a Western sounding name. So that's why they gave her that name for that shell, essentially. So in her original biological shell, she was Motoko. She was Japanese. And then she was uploaded. Yeah. And then she was kind of Westernized to make that make more sense. So Major should not have been blinking. In the Oshi adaptation of Ghost in the Shell, the detail is really minor in the anime, but it goes an incredibly long way to show what Oshi was desiring, which was to make her feel doll-like. That's weird because I I didn't get that from watching the first anime movie. Mm -hmm. I didn't get doll-like. I got that she was a perfect approximation of a human. She seemed very human to me. Well, she's supposed to be a perfect uh, approximation, but something just slightly off. So the lack of blinking is one of those ways to illustrate she's not like everyone else. But I never picked up on that. And that, when I'm watching anime, I can't say I've ever focused on characters blinking because that additional step to the animation would be expensive. Yeah, I mean, and I honestly... it. It was so subtle as to be unrecognizable to me. So, yeah, I mean, it just the, and just generally the effect of her animation didn't make her seem doll-like or artificial. She, she seemed like a person. If I like, if I hadn't been paying attention to the story and no one told me that she was a robot, a, a robot, I wouldn't have guessed she was a robot. So that is interesting, and that's interesting that people were upset that she was blinking. 
Well, it wasn't so much that they were upset. It's just a, it's a, a difference between the anime choice versus the movie choice. Well, I mean, you know, they took away her nipples also. Yep. No which nipples. is well okay so maybe that's a nod so in the anime she had nipples which is not robotic mm-hmm. but she didn't blink which is robotic so in the real life version she didn't have nipples which is robotic and she did blink which isn't so they just kind of they flip-flopped a little bit a little flippy floppity yeah <laughs> and the doctor character uh dr ule, mm-hmm. ule. ule. is that pronouncing it right ule <laughs> well what's funny is uh that doctor is the the lead in chocolate which, chocolate with johnny depp with johnny depp yeah. oh wow <laughs> and so uh i associate her with that role but she is french apparently she was given a yoga award for worst foreign actress a what a yoga award what is a yoga award that's a new i googled it honestly i wasn't able to find much is <laughs> about it like a razzy i think it's similar yeah <laughs> i'm gonna look it up now. <laughs> so i don't know if it was for this movie or if it was for a different movie, but I think it was for 2017 she got the Yoga Award for Worst Foreign Actress. But I don't think she did a bad job in this movie, so I don't know. I think it said it was a Mexican award, so maybe that's why we haven't heard of it. Mm. But why would they have an award for the worst? Oh, yeah, she she's the, the winner of the Worst Foreign Actress, well, why, more specifically why Ghost would, in the Shell. Why would a Razzie Award be for the worst? It's just what they decided to do. See, but the Razzie is always funny. Like, it gave it to Catwoman, you know. Uh, it, but maybe theirs is in a similar uh, vein. vein. I don't know. I just didn't think that it was that laughably bad. Yeah, I didn't think it was okay. bad either. Anyway, so Dr. Ulet was originally written as a male character, but was rewritten as a female to accommodate Juliette Binoche. Binoche? Uh, sure, why not? Is she French? Yes. Okay, well, so I'm trying to say it in their native dialect. But you're doing more of a German French. Julie Binoche. Look, I, my French is not perfect, so you're going to just have to go with me on this Weird. one. <laughs> <laughs> Who impressed the director at her audition and was excited to add maternity to the character. Mm-hmm. I, that's funny because I have that written in my rose thorn like hate. That she had kind of a maternity to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the actor playing Batu is Danish. His real name is Pailu Asbik. He's a Game of Thrones actor. And he played Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Why are you trying to scoop me in the middle of my own <laughs> trivia? I didn't know that's what you were doing. Oh, boy. Anyway, yeah. So I enjoy him as an actor. I thought he was great casting in this movie. And honestly, I thought he did a a decent Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. His seasons were poorly written. And especially he played a major role in the last season. Which was the worst season. And the second to last season. The last season was certainly the worst season. Second to last season was starting to get rocky. And the way they wrote his character, I thought was garbage. But him as an actor, I thought he pulled off his character really well. He had a a sense of chaos about him. And like unchecked masculinity and, and arrogance. As Batu or Greyjoy? As Greyjoy, I'm saying. Okay. Batu, I thought was great. I thought he did a really, really good job. And he liked dags. He liked dags. You like dags? <laughs> uh, oh, sure. Dogs. <laughs> yeah, I like dogs. Anyway. Uh, All right, so what do you think? Act three? You want to go on to act three? Well, this is where Mr. Zach is going to have to take on the nostalgia and predicted rating before we get started with our timestamps i'm not used to the roll flip here so my nostalgia rating i think i would have 
I should have done this before. My uh, okay. So anyway, we're Act Three, movie and novel. Well, technically, technically, you you said that at the end of our last recording. What my nostalgia rating was? Uh, the nostalgia and predicted. Oh, okay. Well, let's check that out. So you didn't actually say because we didn't know what we were recording until after the fact that we were going to superimpose the audio. Oh God, I never did. <laughs> <laughs> but that episode still hasn't gone out yet. <laughs> so you will. So I can, but it will be after now. So, you, so I you, can't go back and... You declared what you thought the nostalgia and the predicted was in that last episode, but you didn't know what we were watching. So I think... Oh, you, okay. Well, let's... Uh, I think you said six and six or six and seven. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Slacking on me. All right. Look, I do everything else for this show. I can't remember everything. Okay. Your... No, my nostalgia rating will have been in the past, I don't know, a seven. Seven. And what's my predicted rating? I think your predicted real rating will be a six. In my heart? Will be a five. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right. Uh, There you go. All right. So you want to go on to timestamps? Let's do. All right. So one thing I will kind of disclaim at the start of this, I think you and I both had the same thing where there were so many visuals that were really beautiful to look at, but we didn't necessarily have timestamps where like, oh, we need to talk about this or the dialogue here is really good. Or it was just like, this is pretty. This is pretty also. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of moments like that where I, I, I guess this is, it would have been better to have done the original. But I hadn't seen the original, so I didn't have a nostalgia for it, so it wouldn't have made sense. But ha- having now seen the original, the original had much more talking, much more kind of philosophizing about things. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. So uh, the opening sequence, uh, we're seeing someone being carted off into a laboratory. Their brain is excised and is now being connected. And I just really love the biomechanical look that was created for these kind of tendrils to affix to the brain. They almost look serpent-like in their appearance. And the wires seem to glow with a bioluminescence that was really quite beautiful. The whole creation sequence, to me, felt so true to the anime sans the nipples. So, aside from the nipples, let me just tell you that all of this Aside from maybe those tendrils and the background effects, none of this is CG. The, the whole body, all these mechanics, the brain and everything were all practical effects. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So Scarlett Johansson's body was used as a model for the cybernetic shell, which was also made by Weta Workshop. So they, like I said, they were filmed, they filmed all of this in New Zealand, which is the home of Weta Workshop, which is Peter Jackson's thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what they used for uh, the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, all that stuff. Though not enough for The Hobbit, because all of that was CG and garbage. Garbage. That's what happens when you switch directors halfway through. (laughs) Anyway, the whole construction of this, of her, the practical effects for her shell took five months. Took five months to make all of that. Then it broke on day two after they (laughs) submerged it in salt water, having only for... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, he was better than Stevie Spielbs. (laughs) He didn't do that. Although, actually, I shouldn't say that because they they did end up dunking it and all this stuff. Because when they push it through the the, the white stuff, mm-hmm. they they actually did that. Again, that's not CG. 
The white liquid that the shell rises through was actual plastic solution. It was a gel mold for the skin, and the, the shell was made entirely of ballistic gel. The head was an animatronic, and it opened with the help of remote controls, and the brain was 3D printed. At the end of the sequence, it was not Scarlett Johansson standing on the platform. It was this body that Weta Workshop had created. So That's let's, really cool. Let's continue to watch. So it's being pushed through this red liquid right now. Into jelly. And it's about to rise up. It's the thing's in a little tank, and it's about to rise up through the white liquid. Which again, all of this is is real. This is not CG, which is incredible, because it looks so alien. And that same sequence is later revisited when Major is swimming in the river, and she, her reflection meets at the the water as she surfaces. Now we'll be able to see if she has a belly button with no nipples. So that right there is not Scarlett Johansson. That is the created... Model. And there you go. Get the ghost in the shell credit thing. Really beautiful. Absolutely. I really like the kind of bridge between science and well i guess biology is technically science but more like the the bioluminescence like it felt like biomechanical so it seemed like a cross between mechanics and organics organics yeah yeah thank you i was struggling there (laughs) (laughs) okay so this is the doctor explaining her situation to major after she has been birthed i'm drowning That's right. You were on a boat, a refugee boat. It was sunk by terrorists. Why can't I feel my body? Mira, your body was damaged. We couldn't save it. Only your brain survived. We made you a new body, a synthetic shell. We put your ghost in. Your mind, your soul, your ghost, it's still in there. So two things on this. She said that uh, I can't feel my body. And then she explains because your body was exploded and we had to give you a new one. Yeah. So I'm confused by that because if she, she's been made not only to look like a a human, but to physically be superhuman. Mm -hmm. And how can she interact with the world if she can't feel anything? So even if she didn't look anything like a human, if she was going to be interacting in the world, she needs tactile sensors Mm -hmm. to be able to detect when something is touching her. Or she's damaged. Or, she, or she's damaged or if something's too hot. You know, she needs sensors to be able to interact with the world. So yeah. it's, it seems weird to me that she wouldn't be able to feel her body or feel anything touching her body. 
The only thing I can think, this is kind of a, an after-the-fact explanation, is that her brain hasn't fully integrated with the sensors yet, and she, she isn't receiving signals properly or, or processing them properly yet. Mm-hmm. I think that there are cybernetic implants that people can get now. So if they lose an arm, you can get an, an arm attachment that actually connects either to your nervous system or something like that, and your brain can eventually learn to manipulate the, the electronics, the, the mechanics inside this fake arm. Mm-hmm. But it can't do it instantly. Your brain has to get used to doing that. So I imagine if you get a full body that it would be an even more complex procedure. Though in this cyberpunk universe in the future, I, I assume they would have a more sophisticated way of integrating your brain with the, the electronics. Mm-hmm. So they never explain that. They never say that this is the reason why you can't feel your body. She just says she can't. Yeah, and, and the doctor seems to accept that and say, well, of course you can't because it's a fake body. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that that was just silly rather than uh, incomplete explanation. And they also don't say uh, something that is later discussed in the film is the fact that she's had her mind wiped several times in this kind of false historical narrative um, superimposed to her. Right now, as we're watching, we think it's just after her birth, for lack of a better term. What if this wasn't actually her first iteration? What if this was... Well, know? I don't think that would be the case, because then the rest of her team would know. Oh, okay. So she w- she might not remember, but if she goes back to her team and she's like, hey, I'm meeting you guys for the first time, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, true. I took that to mean that she was wiping specific memories, not all of her memories. Gotcha. Just the just the memories of having seen these visual glitches of the the pagoda or whatever that was. Yeah. So um, this is one of our first sweeps of the cityscape where we are kind of looking at it from an aerial viewpoint. And I would say this scene really indicated to me that it was standing on the, the shoulders of giants like Blade Runner. It was transporting us to a very similar future predicted world. First artificially created giant advertisement projections throughout the city. Yeah, and so these weren't things that we were seeing in the anime movie. These are very Blade Runner-y. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were like neon holographic things, but they were mainly flat in the anime, and they weren't so big and prominent. So one of the things, so I, and I'll get into this later. I, I can bump it up to now because we're talking about this now. I watched a, a video on YouTube that someone produced where they were talking about where they felt the movie lacked some of its source material. And part of that was the feeling of the city at the ground level that we would have seen in the anime. It's um, We don't get to see it as a person on the street really living in the city. We only get these kind of grandiose aerial views. That's a, a good observation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You do get a little bit of it, but not a whole lot. We are made to see it through this person kind of living as an outlier, not from the perspective of someone trying to fit in with the people in the city that live there. I can think of a few scenes where it's it's specifically not following Major. Uh, maybe it's following Batu, or they go feed the dogs. They're chasing the dude, the garbage man. She buys the hooker. She buys the hooker. Yeah, you see uh, Togaso, I think. What's his name? Tosogo? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. He, he's in a cafe or something like that before he shoots some guys. So you do see some stuff kind of on street level, but it's, I guess, not a whole lot. 
So right now, they're the group of, I'll say, the, the people who fight alongside Major are meeting and they're talking about their different cybernetic enhancements. Since you've seen much more in, in this universe, in the anime universe, was that something that anybody cared about? How much cyber enhancement you had? No, and and that's something that, not that I remember. So I will say that, it again, it has been a really long time. I am blanking on a lot of, I, I just flat out didn't remember some things. Mm-hmm. In this one, I just kind of felt like this was a impromptu caution or a, you know, the danger of dismantling and replacing our human parts, kind of a cautionary kind of situation. Well, I do, you definitely get that vibe because you find out that Motoko was all about anti-technology. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, this specific scene, after we play it, I'll discuss it more. What you get? Why do you always think he's out there enhancing? Because he is. Cyber mech liver. Been saving up for a while. Now it's last call every night. You got enhanced so you can drink more? Embrace the enhancements, Togusa. We wouldn't be here without it. I'm all human and happy, thanks. Any more information? So it was just that that scene really disgusted me. <laughs> he got a cyber enhanced liver so he could party and drink more. Like, you know, as someone who's seen the ravages of alcoholism in people and substance abuse, this was a hard pill. Like, I just I thought it was so disgusting. <laughs> Well, anyway, I think they did set up his character. To, at least he seemed kind of skeevy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of skeevy, my next timestamp is 3008. So she is going to a bar. She's trying to track down this kind of hijacked code that was in the geisha. She's with Batu, And she is kind of ushered back into a private room. Why is he so shiny? <laughs> he looks like he was rubbed in baby oil. Yeah, no, that, that, this is basically my, my quote here. It's just why. He's, he's already the most skeevy guy in the movie. Why is he so shiny? I think the idea is that he is so pervy and skeevy that he... Glistens? <laughs> when you reach a certain level of skeeviness, you glisten. That's why a lot of like skeevy guys just have like a little like... Uh, handkerchief or something they're always dabbing yeah exactly no i think the idea is that he spends his whole life here he never goes home never showers so he is just oily he is greasy he is just oily and greasy and he can't do anything about that how does he have not have acne (laughs) i said my friend had work done here she's human your friend none of your beeswax buddy Otto, can you hear me who did the stunning work on you? It's divine. Andrea, guns. Bato, I'm losing signal. Don't worry, sweetie. We have privacy. Listen. No signals going in or out. Major, I'm in position. Do you copy? This guy. Looks like Danny Trejo. He kind of does. But he is really aggressive here. <laughs> Talking about the bartender with a glorious mustache and a half arm situation. <laughs> anyway, so apparently 
this fella, the bartender with the mechanized arm, is an homage to Rats, the bartender in The Neuromancer by William Gibson. And this book was apparently considered to be heavy influence on the inception of cyberpunk as a genre. Yeah, so a little tidbit about him, but I do like his design. He is very interesting looking. I did think it was Danny Trejo when I first watched it. I'm like, is that is that Danny Trejo? Way too tall. <laughs> Way too tall. As someone who's met him, I can confirm. Latria, <laughs> <laughs> you have made your own comms. Got nothing. Signal still. Got nothing. I'm afraid I get bored rather easily. So. I believe you that guy's talk. name is Diamond Face. This glistening fellow. Made you come on. Answer me. But I like his classic Yakuza hair. Whose classic Yakuza hair? Diamond faces. No. Oh. I have to say, the hair that stood out to me in this movie were Batu's and Asilkim. So did Batu? Aramaka. Aramaki. <laughs> Did uh, Batu look a little bit like David from Lost Boys to you? Little Kiefer-y? Uh He has a much more broad, masculine build. Mm-hmm. So but, I, I didn't really get that, but the hair, kind of. Yeah, I, I just got a, a kind of David vibe from him. They're only noodles, Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> How many Michael. times did they say Michael? <laughs> I think it was like 168 or something like that. It was a lot of times. A lot of Michael. <laughs> All right, so this is 3655. This is after the explosion that uh, Batu was saved by Major from, and he's got new cybernetic eyes implanted. He doesn't want to scare the puppies with them. Doesn't want to scare the puppies. How many fingers am I holding up? It's a middle finger. Funny. Oh, my God. Say something nice. Well, you, uh, <clears throat> you've got a nice tan. Did you get a haircut? The tactical. Always for the job. What else I got? What else you got, boy? All right. <clears throat> so he says, well, I'll save it. Hang on. Suit you. Yeah. I got night vision, malasu, and x-ray. I guess I see like you now. Don't worry. You'll get used to it. All right. So why did you get those eyes rather than normal looking eyes? Uh, because they give me tactical stuff. See a mile ahead. I get uh, x-ray vision. I see like you now. She, her, her eyes don't look like that. Did they like cheap out and get him like the cheapest ones or something like that? Obviously, they can look normal and do those things because she's got them. Why can't he have them? So I, I think it, you hit the nail on the head. Corporate was only willing to reimburse his eyes a certain amount. But they're in the same sector. They're both in Section 9. They should both have the same budget. And also, where her, what's going on behind the, the skin and bone, maybe there wasn't room for quite the same type of eye, or maybe those eyes were not compatible with his model of human. But he just exploderated, and his eyes went goodbye-bye. Yes. So why couldn't he, like, assuming most of his face had to be reconstructed? So the, the company really blew the budget building. Um, his strong jaw. Yeah, and uh, his perpetual hair needs. So just really, they, they just couldn't afford that highfalutin, normie eye model. Oh, so what you're saying is his hair, each of his individual strands of hair is an antenna. 
Yes. That allows him to get reception. Yes. Precisely. Interesting. So no one else was psychically communicating. He was the hub of all. Oh, so it's like uh, he's he's the router. The router receives the signals from the Wi-Fi everyone's sending to him. <laughs> and then out of his eyeballs, he sends to the modem. <laughs> he's the ultimate middleman. Exactly. All right. I understand now. So, but the question remains, what's going to happen to his dogs? Thanks for saving my ass. Glad to see you're okay. Major, could you feed the dogs for me? I don't want to scare them. Anytime. All right, so three things. One, does it seem like she slouches a lot in this movie? Yes. What the hell's going on with that? She has terrible posture. But she never looked like that as Black Widow in the Marvel movies. Maybe it was a character choice. She thought that uh, Major slumps a lot? Yeah, I mean, if you don't have to worry <laughs> That's about... That's her nickname at the office, Major, Major Slumps a lot. Hi, this is Major Slumps a lot. <laughs> they call me Major Slumps a lot. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't tell, but he, Zach and I just did a We both slumped. <laughs> I tried to add a little sound effect <laughs> to <You> indicate... <laughs> <laughs> That's what people sound like when they slump. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. When you sit up... Big and tall and straight, you talk a little more clearly. Hi, my name is Zachary. Welcome to the RTR Community Face Place. Now listen to me slumped. It could also be your blood sugar levels dipping because you indicated you hadn't ate yet. The pistachios have not digested into, you know, human fuel. I'm Zachary. Zachary, eat a Snickers. Oh, ho, ho, now welcome to the uh, program. I don't know well, why I turned into like Robin Williams. Why? Why eat a Snickers? Why do I need to eat a Snickers? Because you're not you when you're hungry. Well, give me one then. Thanks. Woohoo, <laughs> <laughs> doggies. Sorry, I just blew out everything. Yeah, just, <laughs> anyway. I need, I need cybernetic ears. But because I'm on the cheap plan, they're going to look ridiculous. I know. They're going to look like uh, little uh, antennae sticking out of your ears. <laughs> it's going to look like the top of Bender's head. Exactly. Like, That's you know. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, she's a major slumps a lot. And he wants her to look after the dogs because he doesn't want to scare them. Mm-hmm. The dogs will not care that he looks slightly different. They're used to implants. People, they live in the city and everybody in the city has implants. He's going to smell implants. He's, he's going to smell the same. Why on earth did he, does he think they're going to care? And also has he just conscribed her to a lifetime of taking care of these dogs? Cause he's not going to change his eyes in the next, you know, near future. I mean, he could also be self-conscious about it right now. He's not fit to get up and move around. Now what he said, I understand was, you know, I don't want to scare them. So right. maybe he's just building up, building up to seeing them again. So what you're saying is maybe he was lying. He was saying, oh, I want you to feed them because uh, I, I think I'm going to scare them. When in reality, he was like, I'm scared of myself. I no, <laughs> no, no, no. He, he's like, I'm just not feeling up to it. <laughs> I'm a little tired today. Well, no, I mean, if you look at him, he's like hooked up to stuff still. He's still in a... What's he, some sort of wimp? He just had his whole body reconstructed. Get up, walk it off. He had his eyes reconstructed. He was still an explosion. I think they said that he had more than that reconstructed. Oh, I thought it was just the eyes. Well, I think the eyes specifically went, and so you can see that more, obviously. But I thought more than that had to be reconstructed. Oh, maybe. Maybe I missed it. But either way, but walk either, it off. Either way, I, I think that there's also a little bit of 
self-consciousness. This is new. He was Humey before. Pure Humey. Was he pure Humey? Well, he didn't mention any other cybernetics. We we believe his hair to be cybernetic, but he hasn't fully committed to that. No, I think the hair before was real, but that all got burnt off. So they implanted antennae. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, I, th- I don't know. All right. So this is just the uh, the garbage men going postal. <laughs> You're mixing your metaphors. <laughs> I feel so bad. They're just having their nudes. <laughs> just. Well, but they've obviously been hacked into way before now because they came prepared with guns. Mm-hmm. I love that kid to pieces. I do. She's amazing. Really but makes me want some noodles. Thing, it is painful, right? Because he believes he has a kid here, which we later Why find out. Piano? Yeah. So this was this whole bit was in the uh, the anime movie, At the original. You can't play that proper. It sounds. Well, his robot acting here was really good. He was also in Game of Thrones. I'm just kidding. I don't know. There, uh, there were two other people that were in Game of Thrones in this. Well, no. So it was uh, Greyjoy, mm-hmm. who was Batu. It was uh, Rila something or other, Fukushima, I think, mm-hmm. who was a red priestess. And there was somebody else in this movie that played Call Morogo or something like that. I can't remember. But he played a Call, one of the uh, Dothraki. Mm. But I think he was a side character in this movie. So here you're seeing the the classic, like, million fingers typing. Dr. Ule's uh, car was hit by the garbage truck. And this is one of the few street views that we get to see. Yep. I wonder what cybernetic they had because all we see is kind of like something in their temporal lobe. Right. Tell me everything. I think pretty much everybody has at least something attached to their brain to help them connect with other stuff. Are you prepared to die for two five six? All right, so now you got the garbage men in a shootout with. The Sector 9 people. So if you saw, Major, her car door had a little slot in it, a panel for a gun to fit. I wonder if every car has that in this vision. I wonder what kind of license you need a gun in the future. I think everyone's just got a gun. I think that's just everyone's got a gun. You don't need a license. It's like having a license for toothpaste. Everyone's got some. So the water fight is my timestamp, so we might as well just keep going. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a good clip to watch for the podcast, but I have to say that the river fight was just so beautiful. Very, uh, I believe, shot for shot, almost identical to the anime. Yeah. And it was just, it was so beautiful. Yeah, no, it, it is shot for shot taken right from the anime. And they did a really good job of replicating it. Now, I don't know. Maybe there are things like this in major sh- cities, perhaps in Hong Kong. But that area where there's, it seems to be a lake or something. Here's another good shot where you're looking in the alleyways. And it's grungy city stuff. Really cool. But where he walked in that water area where it's only like an inch or so of water is really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the purpose of it? Yeah, I mean, I, know. I mean, is it dec- decorative? Is, is it supposed to be kind of like a, a fountain or something? Like where he's walking right now? Like, I don't know if maybe it's just like um, a residual 
water feature left over from when the city's kind of usually built around water. Yeah. Because it sounds like there's a harbor nearby, like you can hear uh, seagulls. So you just kind of see elements of Major in the water as she's fighting the garbage man. So in the anime, when she breaks his wrist right here, you get a really detailed look at the bones breaking. It really got me viscerally. It kind of it hurt to watch. Mm. Felt too real. And I was like, all right, you just stop resisting. <laughs> and in fact, at this point, it looks like he kind of has stopped resisting. But, she but just she's keeps... not done being angry. Yeah. She's, she's going to so... slouch on over to him. So much slouching in this movie. I think her hair also kind of accentuated. Weighed her down? Well, no, I was going to say accentuated kind of the, the look. There she goes. She's standing up for him. Ish. Why does he want to kill Ule? I don't know anything. He's had enough. Enough. You need him alive. So, that's silicon outfit she's got on now. I wonder if that was super sweaty to wear. I imagine because um, under the silicone, there's no air, there's no breathability to the fabric. So I imagine it's just soupy and humany under there. I would imagine so, yeah. My next is how bad I feel for this trash collector. Like just the the story and the loneliness that was kind of super implanted into his brain. It just, to me, made him a really sympathetic character. He's like, I have a daughter. I have a daughter. Do have. My name is Lee Cunningham. Where'd you get the weapons? I don't know. Who loaded the mine? I don't know anything about weapons, all right? I told you. I was picking up my daughter. She takes violin lessons. What's her name? You expect me to know things like that? Is this her? Yeah. It's, it's just a picture of him. This is your daughter. Right. Do you have kids? Uh, you don't have kids. Where do you live? I can't remember. I, I think I, I think it's a tall place. Is, is it a tall building? It's a tall place, right? You don't have a child. You don't have a wife. You live alone. It's just you. What? No. Welcome to your apartment. There's nobody there. No. You've lived there for ten years by yourself. No. So you're just lying. I'm not lying. I didn't kill anyone. Why do you? Well, keep disconnecting. How can he not know? The hack must have created a vacuum. Kuze's wiped his memory and somehow installed a new reality. At least he got to believe he had a kid. So it's foreshadowing. That line was so sad. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, it, it is foreshadowing for Major's condition. And I thought it was it was decent foreshadowing since this wasn't really the storyline of the original movie. Seems like they mashed together a few different movies together and to form kind of one storyline in the show. Yeah. So like in the case of Major, I think her kind of awakening to how similar her and the trash guy are as far as their memory composition was the um, where she's saying, I do not consent to this. And the doctor's like, yeah. Yeah, the, the doctor was essentially like, your consent was never needed. Right, yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, having fake memories implanted in her. And it's interesting that they seem to think that this is all theoretical. Like, how how could he have done that? So I guess that this has never been a problem before in society of someone someone's mind being hacked into. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, a new problem because they've seen it through pure robotics. They saw it through the comfort bot, the geisha, but they've never seen it in a human who has a basic cybernetic enhancement. Well, I have to say that the, the biggest surprise of this movie is that that's never happened before. If everybody's got cybernetics kind of interfacing with their brain, the fact that nobody's been hacked before is astounding. So they they are coming up with different cybernetic enhancements, body chips and things like that. Would you, Zachary Duncan, yeah. choose to get a chip or some sort of cybernetic enhancement as it became available? Or would you wait several years until they've really perfected it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd definitely wait to see how it went. But if if it had been, you know, proven year after year that they were safe and reliable and hack-proof and things like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think anything is 100% ever hack-proof because yeah. people are very clever and they can find ways. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, but in this hypothetical theoretical universe... It's it's 100% hack proof. There's going to be a white hat who produces the infallible device. Uh, And that's what they can call it, the infallible 1000. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, I mean, if it was proven to be very reliable and all that stuff, yeah, I would get cybernetic stuff on my body to increase strength, durability, especially uh, long-lasting life. If it could extend my lifespan, I would definitely do it. Getting stuff that would mess with my brain... Like trying to make me smarter, things like that. I would be really interested in doing, but I don't know. I guess I would have to see the landscape. Because if everybody was started to get brain implants to make them smarter, and all of a sudden I was dumb in comparison to everybody else, I'd feel a real social pressure to do it. I wonder if there would be an increase in depression in people who were once quote-unquote normal brain who then got super intelligence because there is a weight to having a deeper understanding of the world and the way Tell the me world. about it. <laughs> so there's going to be an increased amount of people with different uh, advanced brain. Brain needs, the size like, of a planet. Need therapy. and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no doubt. I'm sure that that would have all sorts of weird psychological knock-on effects. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely be open to doing it. What about you? It would just depend on what the enhancement was. Like, I don't know that I would get a chip implanted that would have my bank card information or anything like that. I'm fine with using the technology I have for my banking purposes. But like you, if I saw everyone getting smarter around me through that, I'd feel like I'd be at a societal disadvantage if I didn't keep up with the intelligence level. Right. But, I mean, if you've got something that's interfacing with your brain making you smarter or more quick-witted. If it's interacting with your brain, and on some level, your br- your bank information will be in there if you've got enhanced memory. Well, just more then like... Then you're going to remember your bank account information. Like, I, I don't want to wave my wrist in front of a credit card machine to make a purchase. That's what I meant. Like, I don't need my bank card just, like, implanted in my arm. Well, so what I'm saying is, on what level is that different? So if, if you've got something that is in your hand that you can scan... Mm-hmm. Or if there's just something connected to your brain that's assisting in remembering these things. Digitally, there's something that's interfacing that knows your bank information. Mm-hmm. So what would you be worried about more in the scanny thing or the brain thing? I feel like the wrist would be easier for someone to take control of and manipulate in the brain. But uh, this is all hypothetical because I don't know 
how that technology works. Well, yeah. So, I'm, but I'm, my point is, it's a computer. So, if it's hackable, it's hackable. If it's in your hand or if it's in your brain. Seemingly, I guess there's no difference. What's the difference, huh? Fantasy, reality, dreams, memories. It's all the same. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of this stuff was lifted from Ghost in the Shell into the Matrix, but the Matrix raised these questions as well. So, if you're plugged into the Matrix and you're living out a life in that reality, is that... There's definitely better food in the Matrix. Is that a a well-examined life? Yeah. Your brain tells me that the steak tastes good. (laughs) So, my question is, is when you are pulled from the Matrix... If you did not eat well in the Matrix world, does obesity carry over to... No. So your mental self will always... So every time you reinsert yourself into the Matrix, you have to go back into your original brain body versus your living body. Uh, I guess it depends on how you're plugged back in because if you're on the Nebuchadnezzar or Mm -hmm. any of these other ships that can do this manually, I think they can manipulate because they... Like when Neo goes back in, he's like, I need guns, lots of guns. And they have hair again. Exactly. So, I mean, I think you can kind of modify yourself going back in so you can give yourself a a ripped up six pack. I mean, who doesn't want to just like grate cheese on their abs? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So something interesting that uh, it's a little different from the creator of the manga series and Oshi, who did a lot of the animated series work is Oshi has had just history of an on-again, off-again kind of relationship with religion, specifically Christianity, mm-hmm. and would embed Bible, Bible verse into the script. He would embed those things into the script? Mm-hmm. Um, and people often kind of speculated, like, is this supposed to be a deeper philosophical question, or did he just think it sounded cool? Mm. <laughs> so, like, they had uh, part of Corinthians in one of the speeches. In the, in the anime movies or the show? The show. Ah, okay. Specifically anything Oshi touched. Gotcha. But yeah, so my, my point in raising the, the Matrix is if you are plugged into the Matrix and you never know that you're plugged into the Matrix and you live out an entire life, mm-hmm. is that a worthwhile life? Well, it's just you don't know. You could. I, I feel like you can have contentment in your ignorance. Right. I mean, you're still thinking, you're still being exposed to concepts. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're you can do a lot a of, life. yeah, you can still do a lot of reading and have an intellectual life lived inside the matrix. So is human life defined by being sentient? Well, no, no. So is, is human life, the value in human life being exposed to the truth or being exposed to positive stimulus? I mean, because the, the Socratic way of determining whether or not you had a worthwhile life is Ooh, a life. so great. A life that is examined is a worthwhile life. So if you're examining experience and philosophy within the matrix, that would ex- that would seem to be a worthwhile life, even though you're not exposed to the real full truth of that you are in a computer simulation. But lack of knowing the full truth, you can't limit your, your life experiences based on the unknown variables outside of your, your realm. So, I mean, yeah. if you and I are in a, a computer simulation... Mm-hmm. Is our life completely worthless and meaningless? Are our lives completely worthless and meaningless because we don't know we're in a simulation and there is a higher realm of existence and reality? We may not by, matter by, to the people who are outside, uh, who are functioning outside of this reality, but that doesn't mean that we cease to have an existence or be real. We're real. We're just in a pink, gooey tube and we just don't know. 
And who knows how far my pink gooey tube is from your pink gooey tube. So speaking of the Matrix and pink gooey tubes, uh, the explanation for that in the Matrix was that humans were a good power source. But that doesn't make any sense. They have to expend more fuel to keep us alive than we provide for them to power whatever they need powering. They should have sought uh, opportunities in wind and solar panels. Exactly. (laughs) Natural energy sources. Replenishable natural energy sources. Right, yeah. But uh, I will say that I just realized that based on how you define the Socratic method, we are both, that this podcast is an exploration of the Socratic method, but specifically narrowed to movies. We're we're, uh, examining society through the prism of cinema. Ooh. See? Someone make a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Anyway, what the hell? How did we get on that again? Trash man. We got on that from Garbage Man? Yeah. Garbage Man and his nudes and his daughter. Uh, and Bantu was saying, you know, at least he got to think he had a daughter. Right. Okay. <laughs> so my next one is an hour and nine minutes. Okay. Ours will probably hit the same landmark. So we are at that point in the movie where Hanka, Hanka has captured Major and Cutter and Dr. Ule are discussing what to do with her. Is my pronunciation, do you think, is that very uh, authentic sounding? Do I, I sound I, like a native speaker when I say Dr. Ule? No, you're putting a lot of emphasis on the, the different syllables. Ule? <laughs> it, it almost sounds like a burp. <laughs> Ule? <laughs> All right, so Major is sitting on a little doctor's chair. Why is she sedated? She's been turned by a terrorist. She listens to too you much know of the White Stripes. You should have called. Or the Ramones? Who did I want to be sedated? Ramones, right? Yeah. Instead, you White gave her permission. What makes you think you have the right to tell <laughs> me what to do? Two five seven one took us close. It's time to move on to the next iteration. Two five seven one is not a failure. I'll delete all the data and reprogram her. She won't remember him at all. No, 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 no. You download all the data on the terrorist, and then I order you to terminate. What? You'll build one that's better. I'll delete everything. You've deleted before. She's mine. No. She's a contract with me. We succeeded. She's more than human and more than AI. We changed her entire identity, but her ghost survived. Her ghost is what failed us. We cannot control her. She's no longer a viable asset. He looks so similar to my brother-in-law, Mike. It just trips me up every time. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Does he have a similar personality? Not as far as I know. He's a teacher. (laughs) What does he teach? How to be a bastard? I don't know what he teaches. So he could. He could be teaching how to be a bastard classes, and you would have no idea. So this vial that Cutter has just put on the table... Some sort of killer agent? Some sort of. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. On the vial, you can see the label. Get your face all close up and stuff. You will read that it says C11H17N3O8, which is a tetrodotoxin. Yeah, a tetrodotoxin. You heard me right. Spell it. And that is a, the toxic compound produced from the symbiotic bacteria in pufferfish. Huh. So that's what makes pufferfish lethal if you don't prepare it correctly. So it's the, the fugu killer sushi preparation of blowfish. 
Ah, okay. And so that's the toxin that if you eat the wrong part of a blowfish will yep. kill you. So I think, I don't remember if it was in this, it must not have been in this, something I heard recently was how to prepare puffer fish properly. Preparing puffer fish pro- it's hard to say it. Preparing puffer fish properly. Five times fast. <laughs> preparing puffer fish properly. Preparing puffer fish properly. Preparing puffer fish properly. I have to say you're pausing a lot for saying it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be inserted into the <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, so the way of preparing puffer fish properly. <laughs> the way of frog. preparing puffer fish properly. Uh-huh. Is yes, leaving it out for a long time. Ew! It kills the bacteria or something. I don't know. That's just what I heard. Anyway, this is I'm, this is all speculation. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So don't eat puffer fish based on how Zach tells you to cook it. Yeah, don't just leave puffer fish out for a while and expect it to be non-lethal. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I also wonder um, because they're using a compound that seems to be organic. If the intention is to kill the brain, not necessarily the shell. Well, I think that's exactly what it would do. Because, I mean, she's got... Honestly, I feel like her entirely mechanical body and system would be able to process that better than a human's would. Mm -hmm. But assuming that it does things similarly or analogously to a human body, it will break down the, the chemicals in the same way and pass it throughout the system in a series of blood vessel like things. So I, I don't know if she actually has blood vessels, but assuming she has to have things travel throughout the system and get to her brain. I mean, I, I don't know if like... Because it has to keep the brain alive by taking an oxygen. So she had the port that was in the back of her head, and that seems to be where she injects new fluid, but I don't think she's vascular in the same way that a human would be. Well, but okay, a counterpoint then is that she when she went in the ocean, she had a breathing mask on. Mm-hmm. So I think she does have to breathe. And the the breathing has to be good for something. And the only thing that we need oxygen, (laughs) the only thing we need oxygen for is carrying oxygen into our body and to to have that in the blood, to give it to our muscles and to give it to the brain. And since her muscles presumably are powered by other things other than blood and oxygen, I would guess the only thing that needs it is the brain. Unless it's a feature that was created specifically for the appearance of humans. So her computer brain thinks she needs to breathe. So she breathes. Well, her brain is the only thing that's not a computer. Well, I, I'm guessing it's got computer interfaces and stuff like that. But Well, no, I just meant like some, something in the programming that they used in her because there's clearly some sort of mental programming that had to have been completed or they wouldn't be able to mind wipe her the way that they do. Right. But I'm just saying there's something in the way that her mental composition of living had, was done was telling her she needs to breathe. So it's it's instinct to breathe even though she doesn't really need to breathe? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Gotcha. Possibly. So how does her brain get oxygen? How does it get the things that it needs? Maybe there's a solution in her body. Like when uh, she was bleeding, quote unquote, it was a greenish blue blood. So maybe there's something in that that feeds the brain. Too. Right, right. So, the, I mean, it's analogous to blood in that way. So it has it circulates throughout the body, giving her brain what it needs, including oxygen. But where does it get the oxygen, the green stuff? So if it has oxygen in it, it will eventually run out. It has to replenish just the way our blood does, presumably by breathing. I'm not sure. See, you're asking me the questions that I feel like I should be asking you because this is your movie choice. Well, but it doesn't explain it in the movie, so we're just theorizing. Gotcha. (laughs) So I, I, I submit then 
that <laughs> she must be breathing when she seems like she's breathing and it is ne- uh, necessary for her to do so because her brain does need oxygen and that's the only place that we know of that it can come from. And if her eyes don't need to lubricate, then why does she blink? Maybe. Well, I mean, for the same reason, I think they might need to re- lubricate for the same reasons our, uh, ours need to lubricate because if they don't, it'll start to wear at the top layer of the, uh, the cornea. Mm. Do you have a do you have a counter proposition of how she feeds oxygen to her brain reliably? Not really. Look, I didn't think about it that deeply. For this to be this is a, this is a nerd cast right now. <laughs> we are talking about a super nerdy movie, and we're going into depth. We're analyzing. Uh huh. So we we've got to do this. We've got. Well, we need to argue about this. Well, I, I I submitted my theories. What was your theory? That the breathing mechanism was not actually functional, but was part of her appearance of being human. Right. That was your proposition for why she seemed to need the oxygen math. That was instinct. Yeah. I'm not sure what kind of sustainability system they created to keep the brain oxidized. My proposition is... Mm-hmm. Proposition eight, baby. <laughs> Say no to prop eight. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I had to say. Pufferfish. Fugu. So she's uh, Dr. Uh, is coming back to the room to perform the execution order. And I do not consent to the deletion of this data. I do not consent. You silly Billy, we don't need that. I do not consent. We never needed your consent. So I feel like in a movie where she has been robotic the entire time, this is the most kind of human fear realization that kind of has been expressed. And it's an interesting evolution of her character because she's put herself into situations where she could die and she didn't seem to care. She had kind of a nihilism about her own existence. Cutter's not looking happy. Mira? This is your past, your real past. Take it. Guards! Come on, come on! Come on, go! That was adorable that Dr. Ule tried to stand in front of the android that's got super strength. <laughs> she had a mother instinct. Yeah, that's true. It was adorable condescendingly and in reality. <laughs> Uh-oh. Ule's about to bite the big one. That's the problem with the human heart. And this is where Aramaki is getting into his car after talking to Major, and he wants to tell the Prime Minister that Cutter killed Dr. Ule. So he's walking in the parking lot. To a very old school looking car. It's a sweet looking car. Very cyberpunky. And he is about to be the badass, the most badass old man that I think I've ever seen. All agents switch to mind comms now, he says. With his mind. Yeah. 
And he used his briefcase as a shield. Which is super badass, but I'm going to go back for a moment. Let's count the gunshots that he shoots. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anyway, his revolver can only hold six. Okay. But his can hold seven. No, actually, in a previous scene, he opens up his gun and you see only six chambers. He reloaded with his mind calm. Oh, <gasps> magic. <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy for you, isn't it? <laughs> Don't send a rabbit to kill a fox. Execution, BB. Oh, and there's eight. There's eight. All right. So uh, that's a magic gun right there. Anyway, Batu is about to be a badass. And then Togosu or Tsugo, I always forget his name, but uh, he's about to be a badass too. Everyone gets the opportunity to be a badass. Woo! Badassery. Come with me. There is no place for us here. He wants her to join her, him in the uh, new network that he's created. I'm not ready to leave. I belong here. I will always be there with you. And your ghost. When he dies, he says, I will live on in your ghost. And I'm kind of curious what that means. Well, there's the memory. Right. So is he basically saying, I'll live on in your heart? You'll remember me? That or it, it could also, um, maybe there is a residual part of him within her when she was uh, in hacked. the mind of the geisha, like being hacked. You know? Right. So I was thinking that or like he, he has his network that he backed himself up into. So surely he's not actually dead and... Is he saying that because she has access to his network? I, th I think in the the way that the movie was filmed and the way that shot was, it, it felt more of like, you know, I'll, I'll be part of your memory kind of thing because her ghost is more prevalent than I would say his. He's become less of the, the human that he used to be because, you know, as we learned about uh, Hideo's origins versus Major's origin, like they, they were connected, they were those two kind of living together on the outskirts and well from one of the monologues he had earlier in the movie he said that he had been born many times mm -hmm. and that he's got himself backed up into this network that he's created so essentially he can't die so his mind is still up there mm -hmm. so i am curious how it seems that he's permanently dying here oh i didn't take it to mean he was permanently dying because i i just thought like his He's still connected somewhere, so things are funneling to wherever that there is. He was just leaving the vessel, the the shell. Right, and that's what I would expect. But the, what, what he says is, I'll always be in your ghost. And I took that to mean the same thing you took it to mean, which I'll be in your heart or you'll remember me mm -hmm. and something like that, which seems to be an odd thing to say for a guy who's not really dying. Like, I'll see you later yeah. on the net. Well, in, in this case, I think specifically is he was assuming wherever he's going, it's not going to be in the same 
existence date uh, in this town. Like, I think he's uploading and moving on. So it's possible that this was a long goodbye for him. Oh, so you don't think he's just going to put him his consciousness into another shell? He's he's just going to stay in, in his network? Either stay in the network, maybe pick a different shell. Um, and But I don't... His goals... I think are different now because the the way they set up his goals in this was to kind of get revenge on the Hat, Hato Corporation. Hanka. Hanka. Thank you. Sorry. I don't know why I said Hato. Uh, so the, I, I think his goals in this were complete. He didn't need to continue on this particular quest. So maybe he's moving on to something else, but he wanted her to come with him, which indicates to me he's going to continue on just, do something different. I don't think he was saying die with me. No, no, I don't, I don't think he was saying die with me either. I don't think him saying come with me right before he died, right before he said, I'll always be in your, your ghost. Mm-hmm. He said, come with me. We're not meant for this place or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it seems that he is referencing the network and that he's just going to leave this shell and he's going to be in the network. And I don't know, the, these, the, those two reactions seem to contradict each other. Basically saying, I'm not really dying, and then I'll always be in your, your ghost. It seems like if, if he's not really dying, he's just going up to the network, and he, he can just get, get himself another shell and go up to him and be like, hey, it's me, Hideo. I'm back. <laughs> Hi. That, that seems a little too casual for Hideo. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to make more of a dramatic show of it. Need to be a little more mysterious. Well, he could make a big old production of it, but the, the moral of the story is he's not gone, and he can just get himself a new shell. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't want to. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe he's just, he's saying, I'm never getting another shell. Mm-hmm. I belong in in the net. Yep. Well, there you go. So that's all I've got. That was Ghost in the Shell, 2017. So I guess it's time for Act Four. The Rose Tinted Feels. So, so Thackeray. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Was it as good as you remember? Well, I mean, it's not really analogous because I only saw it for the first time three years ago, four years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was pretty good at the time, but my memory is still about as sharp as it was at the time. So I remember it pretty clearly. So my experience of it was pretty similar this time as it was a couple of years ago. But now having done more time researching the anime and watching the anime, did your perspective on anything change? Uh, not really, I have to say, because this movie is kind of a standalone, a standalone piece of art. So it's not as though you needed to know the source material Mm -hmm. to understand and appreciate this movie. Mm -hmm. So I have to say that having seen now the source material has somewhat enriched my perspective Mm -hmm. on this uh, universe. But I don't think it has added or subtracted anything from the experience of this movie. Okay. I like your voice that you use to describe this. Thank you. (laughs) so you had never seen this movie before correct but you have which of the anime things have you seen so i largely had experience with what was airing on toonami which was standalone complex okay i don't think i finished it oh really yeah oh okay so you but you hadn't seen the first one no it's crazy that you haven't seen the original movie that's the one i thought that you had seen no uh it that so Remember, College Allison was the one who started to get into kind of the exploratory anime phase of existence. This was newly releasing to us on uh, Toonami, and so I, that is what I had access to. 
other people that I was friends with probably had seen the movies. I just hadn't had the opportunity and I didn't seek it out afterwards. Right. Okay. Well, I expected you to have seen more of the original stuff. So I was going to ask you what you think of this remake of the movie versus some of the source material in aesthetics, in the way they tackle the big ideas and just generally the story. So I'll say when I was watching it, it was weird because I had this kind of inkling of something familiar, but also very different. Like it was tapping into this weird nostalgia, buried, forgotten memory kind of feeling. Um, Well, that's very relevant to this movie. (laughs) So it's like I, I had this weird association with it where like my body was trying to remember something I had forgotten. And it kind of feels like me trying to tap into my Japanese language skills because I don't practice it. It's very rare to have an opportunity to practice that in the United States. There's so much of it that's lost so when someone's speaking Japanese it's like my brain is trying to remember what I had forgotten and so this movie felt like that it felt like trying to remember something I had forgotten that was my experience with Inglorious Bastards with German yeah because I learned I learned a lot of German at one point and then I've forgotten all of it at this point I'm wondering if so you know how in different languages uh, there's different words to describe things like schadenfreude is uh, German for uh, a feeling of taking pleasure in someone's suffering right I'm wondering if there is a word in some language for trying to tap into a language skill that you are becoming out of shape with atrophy atrophy yeah like to to me this movie was kind of like my brain trying to wake up from atrophy or entropy you know trying Mm to tap into a memory source of source materials like huh i recognize this visual why do i know this (laughs) why do i know what's about to happen like it, it, it was a weird feeling yeah yeah well my overall thoughts on this movie Especially, I was re-watching it. I, I watched the anime, the first anime movie last night. and then So I, it's very fresh. So that was fresh, and then I re-watched the remake this morning. And I was finishing it up when you came over. And so I was making parallels between the two, and both movies seem to be about identity. So the anime movie seemed to be about what it was to be alive. So the puppet master, as a villain seemed to be someone who wasn't trying to upload himself. I think he was, if I remember correctly, he was a creation or a byproduct of a creation. So he was entirely digital. He was created digitally. And the engineers who made him thought that he was an anomaly and tried to kill him. So he left whatever, I think he was in a body or something like that. He left that and went up and and started creating a network. That's why Kuze was very similar to him because he was making a network. So the puppet master's plan was to reproduce himself. And he was very big on talking about evolution of biological life and digital life. So that that was kind of his motivation, but it was all about identity. So am I alive? And how similar is a digital life to a biological life? Whereas this movie was more about the major's specific identity. Her identity was initially taken away from her and she was getting it back and whether or not she was a robot or how dissimilar she could distinguish herself from a robot. So they both seem to be about identity, but kind of in different ways. I think that the anime kind of raised deeper questions and examined them more thoroughly. But I think that this movie told a more 
complete and coherent story. So it wasn't as intellectual, perhaps, as the anime, but I think it told a better story. And so this is, again, where the rose-tinted things are going to come on. But longtime fans of Ghost in the Shell are probably going to hate me for that, as saying, like, of course the anime is the superior piece of art. Oh, gosh, and then you're going to get the manga kids who are like, no, the manga is the best. Obviously. So I have, I have not read the manga, but having now seen the movie, I think that this movie was a better movie. I think it was a, told a better story. But did it contribute something to cinema? Nah. No, I mean, it, it stood on the shoulders of many giants, including its own original source material. Mm-hmm. Would anything need to be changed for the modern audience? Well, I mean, the, the whitewashing conversation. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that this is a character should have been some other race and they uh, cast a white person to play that. Uh, I what don't think- springs to mind is Doctor Strange, the head of the Order. Oh, you mean uh, Tilda Swinton? Mm-hmm. Well, precisely. She was based on, was supposed to be a Tibetan right. male. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's not only whitewashing, but female washing. So the job was supposed to go to a man, but a woman stole it. You know, women keep doing this. I don't I know. know what to say. This is our jobs. <laughs> you guys are coming in taking our jobs. All Trust right? me, I want to be barefoot in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's in, anyway, the, the whole, that whole concept is interesting in itself. I don't think it applies here because she's a synthetic being. So I, I don't Which think... Which was th- the argument of many... Right, so I don't think the race of the actor playing major mattered. Mm-hmm. Or even the sex, really, mm-hmm. since it's synthetic. It it's fluid. In fact, the, the anime movie went into that they would say the male gender when talking about the, the female Android, because what they were doing was being gender neutral. They didn't have the concept of they being a gender neutral pronoun at the, at the time, but it was a female looking Android, but they were referring to it as he, because that was gender neutral mm-hmm. offensive, I suppose, but they, they were bringing the that language up. has evolved since. Yeah. 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 So I don't think any of that matters for here, but the conversation of whitewashing is, is an interesting one. So let's get into Act 5, shall we? Act 5, the Rose Award Ceremony. Now, now, quiet down. No, okay, no, okay. I never get to. That was you. <laughs> Anywho, all right, so uh, who would you give your Rose Award to? So I was really torn here. In half? Yes, torn directly in half. Did you I tear was... your arms off while trying to rip the lid off of the truth? Exactly. Oh, interesting. That must have hurt. Yeah, I, I needed a lot of But it didn't because you can't feel your body. Yeah, so it really was fine. It was just kind of the, the strain of it and then having to get new arms. and just It's such a burden. I know, it was a hassle. It was, really? it was a hassle more than anything. Yeah. I got you. So um, my, my rose was really torn here between um, Aramaki and Dr. Ulette. Basically, the mom and dad of this movie uh, or this franchise. So, <laughs> Aramaki always acts in the best interest of Major. Uh, he's the leader of their group, but he, he does seem to, to care about his team. And, uh, you know, while working for this shady company, did his best to keep them safe and informed. Ulet um, uh, had to walk a tightrope of scientific curiosity and development of ethics in her fields. So you could see that she had this maternal attachment to Major and really wanted her to be a success. She didn't want to deprogram her. Um, And she knew that this was potentially going to be bigger than just Major. And this was going to be the future of the society. And so she wanted to make sure that this was a better overall human-ish experience. She didn't want, you know, some kind of 
Stormtrooper clone issue. I kind of struggled with Aramaki and Dr. Ule. I agreed. I thought they were the, the mother and father of the movie. And they both played pivotal roles in making sure that the plot could continue. Mm-hmm. So it was Aramaki believing Major and going to bat for her against Cutter and going to the Prime Minister and fighting off those guys and stuff like that, continuing to organize the team to help the, her efforts. Mm-hmm. And it was also Dr. Ule for not killing Major and helping her escape. Mm-hmm. Without both of them, things would not have completed. Well, I would argue without Dr. Um, Ule. You didn't pronounce it right. Ule. <laughs> it sounds so weird. It's almost okay. froggy. Ule. Um, Dr. Uh, Ule. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would go a step further to say that the movie wouldn't happen without Ule because without her technology, the brain wouldn't have been successfully transplanted. Well, absolutely. Oh, and you know what? I didn't have a timestamp for this, but I had another. Ew, what the heck is that? Dog hair. Gross. Have you been licking my dog? Well, if you know a better way to groom her, I'd like to hear it. Brush? Oh. Oh. <laughs> do you have one? I yeah, I do. <laughs> you don't need to lick my dog anymore. In fact, I'd prefer you not to. <laughs> I'm the Ule to Nymeria. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever saw Ule licking Major. She just made her forget about it. Oh, ew. <laughs> There's a lot of ethical questions now being brought up about Dr. Ule. <laughs> no, I think there was a hair attached to the mic and getting You've just been getting the really close and patient it. <laughs> anyway, so um you yes, very true, very true, very. However, yeah. Oh, actually I, I missed out on something. So I, I didn't have a timestamp for this, but Dr. Ule I don't know what accent you're going for. <laughs> it's French. You got to commit, though. Ule. I, I was pretty sure how I was saying it sounded more Parisian. Look, <laughs> nobody is more uh, uh, connected with the French culture than me. It's Dr. Ule. All right, sure. <laughs> I think he says something, or someone says something, that she is the only person in her field that knows how to make the cybernetic things like a uh, major mm-hmm. and he kills her because it's the weakness of a human heart. I know. So like imprison her or something like control her further, but why kill her? Because major the- was major was the weapon that he always wanted. She went slightly wrong, but how is he going to get another one? If he kills Dr. Ule? maybe they have her notes. I don't think notes is equivalent to having I- someone with her a level of ability. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I don't. I'm just. <laughs> so, yeah. Disagree. Argue. <laughs> no, no. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> so it seemed weird to me that he would have killed her mm-hmm. at all. But anyway, so she He's sacrificed kind of herself. Dick. Yeah. So she sacrificed herself. And I think there are arguments we made for both Aramaki and Dr. Ule. But I would give it to Major. She starts. She deserves a major award. Hey, she started the investigation. She finds Kuze. She saves Batu. And she discovers the truth about Kuze at the end. And she stops the spider tank from killing them both. Got to give it to Major. She, I mean, people assisted her along the way, but she kind of did it all. But she wouldn't have been there to do it without Ule. It's true. So Ule played her part, but I think uh, Major did more. On that note, who is your thorn? Thorn? Uh, the Prime Minister. The one at the very beginning. 
I think he should have had more control over Cutter and Henka Corporation. Big corporations own the government, not the other way around. Well, I think that a strong leader could put a stop to that, and clearly this prime minister is not that person, so I gave my Thorn Award to him. Uh, I gave it to Cutter. General bad guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, I mean, even without memories of the anime, I knew he was Bad News Bears. Yeah, I mean, he's he's. you can just tell by the way he talks, by the way he uses talks. I will say that the actor that played Aramaki, I'm not used to seeing in a good person's role. I've only recollected seeing him as villains in, say, like Battle Royale, like he was the bad teacher. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Battle Royale, oh, it, but I think okay. you've, you've, you've recommended it to me in the past, and I've just... Not at the time. Yet. Yeah. And and that I, I recognize when we watched The Tale of Two Sisters watching an international film for the podcast. It's not impossible, but it is difficult. Yeah, I think that podcast turned out to be okay. It didn't. But it was difficult. Yeah, because it, it's a lot of us talking over the movie versus just listening to the clip. Right, because we not only have to set up the clip, have to translate for the characters during the clip, <laughs> which and talk- then analyze it after it. So, so really, we should just get a script and just <laughs> exactly. Oh, that is actually a good idea. We can then we can act out movies. Yeah, yeah. There well, I, I actually like that idea. <laughs> I want to act out a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could do that as like a like some sort of pledge drive or something at some point. Yeah. Like if we get just a or certain, at least certain scenes. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So we'll, we'll keep that in the, the pocket. Let us know on the RTR community face place if you think we should do that. Mm-hmm. So, Love Award, who would you give it to? I gave my love to Bato. Same. Yeah, I just, I, there's something very endearing about him. He was just kind of an overall good guy. Like, and then, of course, him with the dogs. That's, you yeah. know, that, that's the way to my heart is be, be kind to animals. Yep. And he rewound. He did. He did. Be kind, rewind. He did. He returned all of his videos. So, no, I agree. I think he, he just gave off the impression of just a lovable a lovable guy, loyal, mm-hmm. you know, trustworthy, just a real good guy. Caring. Like, heart was in the right place. And it never bridged, like, a weird, like, I'm in love with you, Major. Like, it, it just, there was something beyond that. And there was loyalty to a friend. Yeah. Which, I, I'm glad that romance was not the driving force in any of this. Exactly. And... I think you'll find that this movie passes the bachelor test. Because mm-hmm. really, it's not. There, there's no. <laughs> the only time where there's two women talking to each other are the scientist and her when she's expressing about her glitches and her with the prostitute where she's just like, what's it like when I touch you? Because so, I don't know. <laughs> do you think that the uh, her talking to the doctor about her glitches was a metaphor for her period? I got this. I think I need some kind of cyber tampy. <laughs> It's weird. No, but there was also the other female lady who was on the team. Mm-hmm. But she only really did a couple things in the movie. Yeah, she wasn't a She supplied a gun to Bateau. And yeah, she, in the bathroom. And I'm not sure if she ever discussed what kind of uh, cybernetics she had, if she had any. I don't... I, she was there for that conversation, but I don't remember if she said she had any. Yeah, I don't either. Speaking of that scene where uh, Batu got the gun handed to him in the bathroom, mm-hmm. that seemed to have been a gender-neutral bathroom. Mm-hmm. Because so, there was there are some someone successes. who was uh, female presenting in the stall beside him. Yep. There were some successes in this uh, dystopian future. Who did you hate, though? I don't have a hate award. I, don't, I didn't hate anybody. Oh. So on a very personal level, I hated the geisha bot. And the only reason 
is because, you know, she had the creepy doll thing going for her. And mm-hmm. I found that to be gross and terrifying. Especially when she climbed up the wall. It was a yeah. little disturbing yeah. how she moved. It was like <laughs> spider doll. No, thank you. Allison's worst nightmare. I got to say, actually, I mean, genuinely, the way she moved backwards up the wall like that was super creepy. Yeah. 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 No, no mas. <laughs> but I didn't. I don't know if I hate her. More uh, like I respect her. <laughs> Please don't kill me. I respect you. <laughs> I respect you too much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if I had to hate anything, it was the existence of creepy living dolls. I hear that. Well, yeah, and I know that's that's certainly your thing. <laughs> that, that, that's my button. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, for, okay, so for genre, I said gritty sci-fi. I just said action. Okay. Maybe well, we should discuss this before. <laughs> we probably should. <laughs> for action, I'll, I'll do action and we can do both. Action and gritty sci-fi. Okay. Because I think gritty sci-fi is its own thing. I mean, that's certainly, it's, this is a genre movie. So gritty sci-fi, I would say my standard of a 10 would be the Blade Runner series. Yeah. 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 So for gritty sci-fi, I gave it a 7.5. For action, uh, give it a 7. So for action, I gave it a 3. Not enough or just it wasn't good enough? The times between the fight sequences... I honestly was a little bored. There wasn't, I felt, you know, prior to recording, I, I just felt like there was more substance that I wanted to chew on between the battle. It, it just was lacking for me. Um, there was, the, the fights were, sequences were lovely. They were like a beautiful, well-choreographed dance, but there was just kind of something missing between those kind of beautiful shots for me. You would say that that detracts from it good rating as an action movie yeah because there, there was still like there was there either needed to be more fights or more sequences of action or more story but it was lacking in both there was just a lot of waving just beauty but not enough action or not enough story to be dramatic for me so having just watched the anime i'll say that i i think there's more story in this one than the anime mm-hmm so the and it I think it kind of mirrors the pacing of the anime. I kind of wish you hadn't seen the anime so and so recently. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because uh just seeing it as its own independent substance. Well, that's how I originally saw it. I saw this in the theater before I had seen the anime. Okay. And I rewatched it before I saw the anime. And then I saw the anime last night and then rewatched it again this morning. So I've seen it a bunch having not any knowledge of the anime. But now now that I have that perspective, I'll, I'll say that it was, I think, and purists may not agree with me, but I think that it stuck pretty close to the way, the tempo of the original movie. So there, in the movie, there are a lot of down moments where they're just talking or they're just walking or it's a lot of quiet interludes or interstitials between big fights mm-hmm. so that that's not relevant to how you feel about it so if you if you didn't like those interstitials then i just wanted more it is what it is you wanted more of the interstitials or more in those interstitials more in the interstitials either better more developing dialogue or more action but i i just i found myself wanting to chew on something more fair enough so that was for action mm-hmm. what, what do you give it for gritty sci-fi I would bump it up to five. Okay. 
So my pros for gritty sci-fi were, and again, I gave it 7.5 for this. Uh, I gave it, the city is a beautiful, dark, colorful, gritty place. And it shows you a lot of it. Now, as you said, they don't have a lot of on the street level stuff. Mm-hmm. It's there, but they don't have a ton of it. But I just, the city in these types of movies is a character unto itself. And I thought that they made a really nice looking one. And it raises the philosophical questions of a possible future society and its technology and influence on humanity. And I think that's what a sci-fi, especially kind of a cyberpunk sci-fi should do. Mm-hmm. And this movie did that. Now, again, it didn't go as deeply into it as the, the anime did, but it still raised those questions. And that's to its credit. I would, I mean, that's a good description of what you said, just kind of a general summation of kind of the uh, aesthetic feel of the, the film and the. Yeah. yeah. So for directing, I gave it an eight out of 10. Uh, beautiful cinematography, great pacing, and it never moved too fast or too slow, in my opinion. See, when it was having the down moments, I always thought it was developing character or some. when it was bringing up philosophical points, it was diving into those. And sometimes it was just taking in the beauty of the city, but I happen to like those things. So I, I really enjoyed the way that it was directed. I gave it a three. Mm-hmm. I will say that I wish I had seen the film if they had gotten a more well-seasoned director to take it on. Uh, Rupert Sanders only has 10 casted directorial labels under his belt. And one of them was Snow White and the Huntsman. And so... Sounds like Ryan Johnson being given a Star Wars movie. Yeah, just it's... You know, I I feel like he had a really well-crafted frame in front of him. All he had to do was kind of paint within the lines. And I do think he strayed a little bit. So I I think that this movie had faults. Mm -hmm. I think they're all writing. I actually think that the directing was awesome and that all its faults were in the writing. Yeah, I just... Uh, Which he didn't write. True. He did not write, so... Mm, I, I don't know. I just... There were, there were interesting... Um, th- this is going back to that, that video I saw earlier, just talking about the dissection uh, of the film and kind of weird... Or I shouldn't say weird, but there, there were choices that were made that didn't makes sense to me like about why we didn't get more of the the ground visual feel um there are scenes that they kind of changed the colorization which kind of changed how we felt about the moment like there's a scene where major is sitting in front of a window and everything is dark around her the city looks dark and the bed is underlit in the original source material everything is bright except for major and i feel like little things like I just well, I just watched the the uh, first anime movie and that shot is taken right from the first anime movie and it was super duper dark. It was almost black and white. Oh no, I'm sorry. The the city but her and the world outside of the city is she under here is all dark it, uh, except for the underlight of her of her butt. Right. So they they kind of switched. So the uh, in the the anime the whole room is dark and the city is bright. And so she is a silhouette mm-hmm. in the remake. Her whole room is dark and the city is dark and you just get a little bit of uh, accent lighting coming from beneath her to kind of give you a, a different type of light silhouette. Mm-hmm. So your, your, your point is that that's bad. Well, I, I just think it was a different take. It kind of changes the meaning of the scene in my opinion. Like but you hadn't seen that movie. 
Well, after watching the the kind of more information, I was trying to brush up my education on the scene. There was a similar shot in um, the the anime that I did see, the um, oh gosh, standalone complex. So your 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 point is that it's it changed the I, I tone think, for the worse. Well, I I think it just it changed the tone. So it depends on if you appreciate the director taking it and making it his own or sticking with the source material. So I think it just kind of depends on, I think there, there was different changes that were made that it just seemed to disjoint the story a little bit for me. Okay. So they, he changed the lighting in that particular shot. That's just one example. I'm trying to think of some of the, like the, the lack of the ground shots, the lack of seeing humanity. Like I think, we see very few people who live in this world. So I, I don't get a real big appreciation for the existence that these people live in. Okay. So he didn't capture, this director didn't capture enough humanity for your liking. Yes. Okay. So is that all you had to say on directing? Yes. Okay. So what do you think of music? I'm actually going to change my score. Originally I had a four. I'm going to bump it up to six. For music? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the pros, you know, I just thought that the music was really lovely and atmospheric. And again, listening to it through headphones while watching it with you, I got a better appreciation of it, mm-hmm. uh, even though I just got a sound bar installed. So I can. Have oh, did you guys hook it up? Mm-hmm. Sweet. The con that I, I expressed is that after I stopped watching it, I couldn't tell you about the music. Like, I, I remember I liked it, but like, say, Tron Legacy, I could hear the music later. I struggle to remember the music I heard in the film. So that's exactly what I said. So I gave it a seven out of 10 and I said that it's an excellent score, but not as iconic as the originals and other sci-fis such as cyber sci-fis such as Tron. Oh, Hey, <laughs> I mean, Tron is the gold, the gold standard for what a cyber sci-fis uh, score could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, the, the soundtrack for that movie is just the best 10 out of 10. That's what I say. 11 even. But uh, this one I thought was still beautiful. It was very atmospheric. The originals, which again, I, I wasn't comparing it to when I initially saw it, but now that I have seen the originals, had very interesting music. Very, it, it gave you a lot of quiet, especially in, the, in that scene we just brought up with her in her bed and she was mm-hmm. leaving her apartment. It was like, boom. It was just, it was kind of weird. It kind of felt alien. It, it kind of made me think that I was in some sort of dangerous new world. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very successful. It was very, just different. That was really cool. I also like the water, the kind of like trinkly noises that happened. Or even the silent moment with Batu when they were in, after he just had the surgery, you just heard the focusing of his new mm-hmm. eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sound editing, A+. plus. Oh, yes, absolutely. So what would you give writing? So I did just up my score a little bit. Okay. Originally, I had it at a 2. I thought that was maybe a little harsh, so I upped it to a 3.5 or a 4. Okay, so what would you? What would be your reasoning for a low score like that? Because that's, that's like, that's, uh, that's Waxworks level. I don't think you're you're no, thinking that I, through. Yeah, no, <laughs> this it, is not I, that bad. No, I didn't mean to give it a waxworks level. So you know, I'll, I'll bump it up to a five. Uh, the in most of it had to do with the fact that you know, again, they they had a, a framework, they had a story already written. 
they just had to modify it slightly to make it work for the screen, but for something in the way that they were adapting, it didn't work for me. Okay, so what were the major flaws? So, again, it's the kind of missing dialogue that I felt was there. There was a lot of just ambient places without times where we could have really gotten more in-depth storytelling, like uh, Ule and her creations. Um, I would love to hear more about how she came to create uh, major we know of one failure, but we don't get to know much about the failures before or any of those still around in Sentient. Um, we don't get to know about... Well, but part of that, that was intentional, though. That was the whole mystery of not knowing. That I don't think is a flaw because the, that was kind of one of the whole pillars of this movie's story is that Major doesn't know why she was made other than the fact that she's a weapon for section nine doesn't know anything about her history or, or she thinks that she's unique. Like they're, they're trying to keep that stuff from her. Right. But eventually you would think that we'd be able to see more. I just thought that the, um, we don't get to understand Cutler and his motivations very well, except to try to control and create this army. Like it just, it feels like, where did he come into play? How did he start working for this organization? Like what it, it, I just wish there was more information about the characters and their development. How did um, they assemble the section nine group with Bateau and major? And like, I, I just, I, I just wanted more. And, you know, it, it kind of uh, popped into my head, you know, sometimes I wonder like if J.R.R. Tolkien was still alive and we, made him watch the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, what would he think? Would, you know, we made this based on your beautiful and well-developed books. Aren't we clever? And see, like, just from what I've read of J.R. Tolkien, he probably would have hated it. <laughs> well, I'm sure he would have, because yeah. uh, Christopher Tolkien, who is his son and owner of the estate of Tolkien, and he's actually finished a lot of J.R.R.'s unfinished works. Mm -hmm. and, like Dismarinely. And, and published them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the, Baron, uh, the Lay of Baron and Luthien and a few others that have come out in recent years, has said he didn't like the movies, the mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings movies, because they felt too rock and roll and blockbustery. So I'm, I'm sure that J.R.R. Would, ha would have had a, a similar experience. But that doesn't mean that the, the Lord of the Rings movies are bad. And similarly, this is very, uh, not even very different, but, this, but the tone of things is slightly different than the source material. And they didn't go into as many of the philosophical things as the source material, but they did some. So is that a bad thing? Because again, they were also blending multiple sources. So it wasn't just the original anime. It wasn't just the second movie or the series. It was kind of a combination of all of them. Yeah. And I think that maybe if they had time to develop it out more or give us more or maybe even break it into two movies, I, I just felt like there was too many gaps for me. Like it just, it, it, like the pacing was not right to me. I also think that you're, you're judging it on a scale where the originals had two movies in an entire TV series, actually more than one TV series, I think, mm -hmm. to go into the details of this world and universe. And this was only one movie. Mm -hmm. It would be really directionless if it were going into everybody's backstories all at once. Yeah, no, but for, for me, I, I like to have a well-rounded association with the worlds and the characters in it. And I just felt like in this world, I, I just... 
I felt disconnected. And maybe that's me. Maybe it was me being disconnected from the film. Well, possibly. I mean, but I mean, if you feel like you didn't t- connect with the characters, then you didn't connect with the characters. It wasn't I successful in that way. Bateau. Bateau. Mm-hmm. I'd watch his movie. Well, I had. I just had a very uh, dissimilar experience. I I thought that I liked that it slowed down and it wasn't just action packed all the time, and it it gave you an opportunity to to sit with the characters a bit. I just I, I in the moments where we were sitting, like I didn't need like action, flying kicks all the time or anything like that, but m- more dialogue. I, it just felt like there was a lot of interlude lulls and yeah, yeah. All right, so that was for writing. Uh, oh, I gave mine, uh, I, that was all your stuff, so I gave mine a six because I think, and this is kind of a comparison thing to the original movie, I think the the original movie went into the details a lot more on the politics side of things and the philosophy side of things. I liked the philosophy stuff. The politics was cool. But I think it got bogged down a little bit in the details and didn't tell a good overarching story. And I think this movie did. I think that it had a, a good arc for Major and it focused on her more so than telling the, the backstory of the politics of how we came to be here and stuff like that, which could be then fleshed out in a sequel. And I think it was a good springboard for a franchise, which it was probably what they were going for. But um, so I, I liked that they, they told a good story. They kind of set up this kind of complex techno society, though cons, they just didn't go into detail into the, the philosophies of things as much. And I, I wish they had just because I, I like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I thought they told a, a, a decent story. Wasn't amazing. Wasn't, you know, earth shattering, but I thought it was pretty good. That's fair. Acting. Acting. So I raised my score because I realized that it was falling into waxwork. Levels. <laughs> and I was torn. So my my pro is kind of a backhanded compliment. I find Scarlett Johansson to be kind of wooden and robotic in her acting normally. But because Major is a robot, it kind of worked. <laughs> Good casting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, cons for me was, you know, aside from Bateau and uh, wanting to know more about the head of Section 9 and you have to care about someone to hold your interests and i just found myself caring more about the sad garbage man uh and bateau and his dogs than i did any of the leads that we were supposed to care about yeah i want to tell you about that that's writing (laughs) (laughs) uh no i gave acting a four out of ten which did you say what number you gave i gave it a four okay i raised it up from a two Oh, okay. Good Lord. It was not too level. Well, that's why I said I was like, you know, maybe I was being a little hard. Jeez. <laughs> wow, uh, yeah, four out of ten. I mean, it was standard acting. Uh, there was nothing noticeable. The slouching was kind of weird. <laughs> it's a weird character choice that you have scoliosis as a problem. <laughs> I liked Batu. I thought he was standout just because he created a lovable character. And Aramaki, I thought just he gave a real badass performance. I thought I was liked really cool. his rabbit fox speech. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the acting was not standout. Actually, I kind of liked Cutter. I thought Cutter was pretty good. He gave a, a, a good, intimidating, bad guy. yeah, intimidating kind of bad guy feel. Yeah, but you know, nothing special. So real rating. So I gave my real rating a four out of ten. Uh, what did I predict? Five or six. 
I, no, you, you said six and you gave my heart a five. Oh, okay. But I gave my heart a three. Okay. So you didn't drive with this movie? Eh, it just wasn't, it wasn't my flavor. I mean, it was fine. I just, for me, it didn't hit the, the Allison mark. Like I just didn't connect with it. I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was art, but I just, I didn't connect. So that's with why it. I'm confused about your directing rating. Yeah, I mean, well. Because a lot of what you were saying was comparing it to the source material, which you haven't seen. So the fact that it was beautiful should be points toward directing. I think most of it had to do with the, the pacing and I just didn't connect with it. Well, there you go. My reel was 6.5 and my heart was a 7. You liked it. You liked it a lot. Yeah. I just, I mean, I generally, I, I, maybe it is just the aesthetic, but, and telling a decent story. And this is a genre movie, essentially, because you called it action, which I don't think it is. It's, this is a genre movie. This is basically an anime adaptation of a cyberpunk sort of thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a niche genre. It's like horror. You can, you can like a horror movie a lot. The plot is thin. It's, <laughs> it's not well written. The actors are probably terrible. The directing is probably standard, but you could like it a lot because it's a genre movie. That's kind of how I viewed this. This is a this is a cyberpunk sci-fi. Yeah. Well, the the hard part about movies is they are subjective. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I I reckon. I mean, I talked about the flaws while we were watching it. Mm-hmm. I thought there are different holes and sillinesses, but you asked a lot of deep questions and gave a lot of deep knowledge, like about Fugu. And this movie did not do a lot of asking and answering of these deep questions, which I think it should have. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it dropped the ball on that a little bit, but overall I still thought it was a, a fun sci-fi. Right. So act six, what's happening next time on RTR? Well, I'm so glad you asked. We are returning to our normal where I shove down my movies down your throat. Nice. Yeah. So uh, what's the name of this here movie? Is it going to be, uh, is, is it going to be fishy? It's going to be a little fishy. Uh, it's going to be a fish called Wanda, which I'm going to say the genre is comedy with a hint of romance or romance with a heavy spoon of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to this because I do love John Cleese and uh, his uh, Faulty Towers show is probably, I think, the best sitcom ever. Well, I I hope that it hits the mark for you because I'm really hoping that you're going to also develop a love for one of the the other characters, Mister Mister Klein. You don't recognize him? Oh, okay, I'm I'm hoping you would have seen him in something else, but he just always plays a good kind of smug guy. Sweet, I like those yeah. guys. Yeah. So, uh, do we want to watch the trailer? Yep, let's line up the trailer for so, A Fish Called Wand. So while we do that, I'm going to go ahead and say my nostalgia rating for this is an 8 out of 10. And my predicted Zach rating is also going to be an 8 out of 10. Otto is a man of many. Am I watching this? Yeah. Hey, great fish. Oh, a little squeeze of lemon, some tartar sauce. Ken well, is a man of few words. Tell him from me. George is the man with the plan. Thirteen millions, my friends. And Wanda... Do you speak Italian? Molto pericoloso. ...is the woman they love. They all set out to commit the perfect crime. To twenty million. To a job well done. But it turned into something... George moved the loot? ...less than perfect. Disappointed! So they turned to a lawyer named... Archie Leash! 
Leech. George is going to tell him where the diamonds are. With Wanda as the bait. I want you to make love with me. Pop. Nothing, nothing. He's really <laughs> I thought you weren't jealous. I'm not. I don't believe in jealousy. It's for the weak. I'm a girl as bright as you could have a brother who's so... Don't call me stupid. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. Totally <laughs> deranged. You're afraid so, old chap. John Cleese. Will you leave immediately, please? Jamie Lee Curtis. Kiss me there. Kevin Clyde. Put the other one up. Michael Payton. <laughs> May I kiss you, Ken? No, you can't. A fish called Wonder. <laughs> A smashing. Oh, dear. Comedy. Well, I must say, after watching that, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited. I, I, I'm i hoping we can watch without too many good belly laughs. So I, I've been afraid of doing another comedy after Best in Show. Mm-hmm. But this is a different type of comedy. So, well, because analyzing a comedy generally is not funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I really didn't like Best in Show. So maybe I'll really like this and it'll be a much better experience. I, I'm hoping. If nothing else, please. Just, yeah. just hang on to it. So what kind of genre would you say this is? So I, uh, other, I, other, like what kind of comedy do you think it is rather? Because mm. you described best in show as dry comedy. I would say that this is maybe a little more slapstick. Okay. It, but it definitely falls into the realm of kind of more zany humor. Right. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what you declare it as because I say it is comedy with a heaping spoonful of romance or romance with a heaping spoonful of comedy. Okay. Well, okay. So I, I, I don't want to leave this though, because what you said at, uh, you said that I didn't like best in show because it was dry and I'm trying to establish what else is dry. Like what, what else would you say is dry? That is very funny. I think Eddie Izzard can be a little dry sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like, I think a bit of Fry and Laurie, there's a lot of dryness in there. I mean, tongue, I, tongue in cheek. Yeah. And I think there's also a lot of dryness in a lot of the things. I mean, there's, there's dryness in, even the American office, which is zany more often than not, but there's also a lot of dry in there mm-hmm. more in the original, in the, in the British version, uh, faulty towers has, I mean, just there are dry deliveries every now and then. I don't know. I, I think I like dry comedy. I, I don't know. I don't think that was why I didn't like best in show. I don't know. It's sticking with you though, because you're still thinking, why didn't I like I, it? I generally, I, cause you liked it so much and <laughs> expected me to like it. I don't know why I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I knew it. It just, Maybe the same reason that I had trouble connecting with Ghost in the Shell. You know, just sometimes things just... Yeah, just don't hit you the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be when we watched it, so much hype in our brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So next time, A Fish Called Wanda. My nostalgia was 8 out of 10. My predicted Zach, also 8 out of 10. Man, this is this is a lot of pressure to like it. And if I get another 1 out of 10 on something, I'm just going to have to quit the podcast. There's Maybe. absolutely no way this is going to be a 1 out of 10. I can already tell. Because John Cleese. Well, yeah, John Cleese gives it at least 3 or 4 points. <laughs> just for the cleese Yeah, the Cleese name is on the box. It's at least a 4 out of 10. Uh, okay, so that's it, man. Just remember, folks listening, to leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts. Anywhere else, I'll punch you in the face. It has to be on Apple Podcasts. I will find you. and I will. He has a very particular set of skills. <laughs> and that's finding people that don't leave, that leave five-star <laughs> reviews, but not on Apple Podcasts. Let us know. You want us to stay alive. Yeah, we'll die without you. Yeah, we're like Tinkerbell. 
Your reviews are like oxygen. Or to continue on our Tinkerbell thing, you know, if, if we, we don't get belief. Your, if you don't clap and believe in us, we die. We die. <laughs> Tell me you believe in Tinkerbell. Exactly. Allison and I are little fairy pixies. And we need your belief in us. <laughs> so in that regard, also go to uh, Facebook and join the RTR community face place. That's where discussion happens and where love is found. And, you know, for, for those of you who have forgotten, we have not yet reached 100 likes. So our sweepstakes is technically still going. And the amount of movies that you may end up receiving have increased. And not not the amount, but the, the random dartboard. Yeah. So you could get Jaws. You could get Waxwork. I think uh, we everyone's need, getting waxed. Work. We need to have a weight of probabilities. So, yeah. like, there's there's a, a higher weight to wax work. So you're much more likely to get that. Oh, if only we. There's got to be an app for this. I can make one. Yep, <laughs> like a, a a dartboard wheel, but some things are weighted a little more heavy. It's either wax work or not wax work. <laughs> it's basically fifty fifty. You're either going to get wax work fifty percent of the time, or one a, of the other nineteen films. Exactly, the other fifty percent of the time. <laughs> So I, I will say that Waxwork is still one of my favorite episodes that we recorded. I'm hoping A Fish Called Wanda will keep our energy at that same level. Well, there you go. Thank you all for listening to the RTR community. Fa- no, the RTR podcast. And <laughs> my name, I'm 30. I can't help this stuff anymore. My name is Zach. I'm Allison. Bye. I, uh, b- bye. <laughs> <laughs> Worth. 30 people. Oh boy. How, what's your record for sneezes in a row? Eight. Eight? Mm-hmm. Usually people stop blessing me after four. <laughs> I'd stop after two. I'd be like, all right, you're doing a thing. <laughs>